1: Free speech to free minds. You're listening to The David Knight Show. As the clock strikes 13, it's Tuesday the 28th of December, year of our Lord 2021, a 656 of the Emergence. And today we're going to play Fauci Says. Seems to be the game that the mainstream media wants to play. We have Fauci Says This about that, and Fauci Says This, and Fauci Says That. He continues to rule, doesn't he? I mean, Nothing says presidential puppet like Anthony Fauci. Made a puppet out of Trump. He's made a puppet out of Biden. Not too hard to do, quite frankly. Uh, So we're going to take a look at that. We're going to take a look at the fact that biden has now said there's no federal solution to this what does he mean by that well we're going to unpack that for you take a look at uh, dr joel hirshorn's perspective on the new pfizer pill as well as uh, reports coming out now many of them from double vax nurses talking about what is going on here and oh, by the way i'm not going to get that booster either a lot of them are done we'll be right back stay with us Begin with the uh, airing of grievances that were put out uh, last week. I think it came out on the twenty-third. I think that's the date of uh, Festivus. All the different bogus holidays, Kwanzaa, and stuff like that. Well, Festivus was uh, something that came from a Seinfeld, episode. and of course every year, Rand Paul airs his grievances on uh, Festivus because that was a part of it. At a Festivus poll, and you get around and you complain to each other. Uh, <laughs> which he didn't like about everybody at the table. And so he uh, has a list every year of grievances. And he had some very interesting things on his list this year. um, Teaching pigeons to gamble, torturing ferrets, fattening eels, so forth. He says, I'm highlighting this year a whopping $52.6 billion of weight. Putting a study of pigeons gambling, thought machines, giving kids junk food, and telling citizens of Vietnam not to burn their trash. My favorite thing there while we're talking about teaching pigeons to gamble. Well, they they had a chicken that you could challenge to bingo. And it was very clever the way they did it. They had a chicken and they would, uh, you know, they taught it to scratch and they'd give it food and stuff like that and it would scratch. And it had a control panel there, supposedly that you couldn't see. And supposedly you would uh, press, you know, it's tic-tac-toe, you would press an X or an O or whatever, make your move. And then you would wait for the pigeon to peck on the uh, screen, which you couldn't see. (laughs) They made sure that you couldn't see it. And so the computer would come. You were really playing the computer, but it looked like you were playing the pigeon. Uh, Isn't that a wonderful analogy of what is going on in government right now? Uh, (laughs) We have stool pigeons we have chickens as president they're pushing the buttons but they're not really the ones in control the buttons are being pushed by other people but anyway getting back to teaching pigeons to gamble torturing ferrets and stuff all the different things that have come out about fauci and uh the most heinous of them are the experiments that they did on children you know where they're testing aids but also the information that's come out about humanized mice and the live vivisection of children. I've talked about that many times. Why is that not on the list? I mean, there's money involved. Doesn't that get you interested in, Rand? You know, the fact that they're using money? Well, no, if it's going to be making some drugs or something, because, you know, his wife jumped in on remdesivir, no matter how ineffective, dangerous, and expensive it is. There's profits to be made. And that's the problem I have. The problem I have is when everything comes down to money, doesn't it? That is a corrupting thing. Even for somebody who has a libertarian liberty bent, it can all be about the money. Perhaps instead of Festivus, maybe Rand Paul ought to take a look at Christmas. And maybe he ought to have a Christmas list of all the different ways that our government has needlessly murdered people. How it's butchered children. We could call it the Herod Report, maybe. You know, Herod killed the kids in Bethlehem under two years old you when know. The Magi told him, uh, yeah, there's a, uh, there's a guy. Well, when did you hear about this? Uh, you know, He went out and killed all the kids. Uh, Fauci would be proud of that, as long as you could use it for some, you know, label it as medical research, right? Except it's not really about medical research. It's about political power. It's about money, ultimately about money and power, which is why Herod killed the children as well. So we've got a lot of Fauci crimes that... Uh, Rand Paul is interested in, he's interested in what happened in Wuhan, and we should all be interested in that, and we should all be interested not just in firing Fauci, but in stopping gain of function, period, period. And yet, um, when it comes to Fauci's crimes in other areas, that seems to get a pass. That's the thing that's so dangerous about all this. You think that we're getting to the bottom of this because they're complaining about Fauci and about Wuhan and Peter Dozak and that sort of thing, and yet nothing is being done to stop their gain of function. These people pay no price, face no charges, no matter how many times they commit perjury, no matter how many crimes against humanity, no matter how deep and broad the mingle of science is, you just keep letting them experiment, and you completely ignore it. So uh, Paul was disgusted that government bureaucrats did not even bother to verify that our tax dollars went to eligible people who actually needed the money instead of to scam artists. More than $3.6 billion of the PPP, the Paycheck Protection Program, where uh, that's at least uh, what Trump called it. Like I said many times, quoting outlaw Josie Wells, don't PPP down my back and tell me it's raining. Uh, that's what they told the uh, small businesses. Uh, yeah, small business loans went out to uh, those on the treasury's do not pay list 3.6 billion dollars went out to people on the do not pay list so yeah uh, grab the remdesivir stock get your get your wife to uh, trade in on it we look at uh, China uh, humanized pigs now what are they doing to humanize pigs in China they're doing gene editing and um, <clears throat> is uh, is that ethical? No, it's not. But uh, they're not murdering the babies and then creating humanized mice. Uh, I think it is equally, uh, well, not equally, but it is horrific what they're doing. <clears throat> Gene editing, especially of uh, infants and of embryos, is called editing the seed. And when you do seed editing... Uh, that is something that will be permanent for the life of that organism. And it will be passed on to future generations. And if you make any mistakes, all of that will be passed on. That's why it is banned everywhere. That's why people are still talking about it, as they do in this article. China, shocking the world when a Chinese scientist announced that he had done the first gene-edited babies, he claimed that he had genetically altered them to make them immune to their father's HIV infection. Uh, Whether or not that was true, uh, (laughs) nobody knows what happened to the twins, I don't think anybody knows what happened to that scientist either, he disappeared because he embarrassed the Chinese government. But the reality is is that our own government is doing this type of thing, Uh, not just... uh, creating humanized mice by live vivisection, and that's redundant, I know, but I just want to emphasize they're cutting these babies apart while they're alive, taking their organs. I mean, why not? We, we've we got schools that are being taught to honor the Aztec culture that was involved in human sacrifice. They'd cut the hearts out live. And, you know, it was all for the community. It was for the village. It was for the good of the village. And um, what they were doing in terms of this human sacrifice, did no more to help the village than these vaccines, quite frankly. Uh, probably wasn't as harmful. Uh, what, they didn't get anything from it. Instead, the product of this uh, human sacrifice is being engaged in by Fauci. It's creating a bioweapon that is killing people left and right. But anyway, going back to uh, the humanized pig, nobody knows where the gene edited girls are now, says Zero Hedge. The Chinese government won't say, but Beijing has apparently found a new project for its gene scientists. The country's largest research institution has reportedly developed mutant humanoid pigs that are susceptible to the human strain of coronavirus using the world's premier gene editing technology. Once developed, the pigs will be used as test subjects as scientists test new remedies being developed to fight COVID. Yeah, of course, they'll be used to develop new vaccines for massive profits. <clears throat> they are weaponizing the virus. They're destroying the human immune system. They're merging humans with animals. Uh, it, it's science. Just trust us. It's, it's science, say the experts. The project clearly has the full backing of the CCP, the research institution is the world's largest organization of its kind, and it is a formal, formal uh, arm of the Chinese government, just like the NIH and the NIAID of Fauci and the FDA. It's a formal branch of the government, even though we know that the CDC has got many private aspects to it as well, like the Federal Reserve. China has also developed an AI prosecutor that can press charges with 97% accuracy. Uh so this is a um, I guess we could call this a bureaucracy in a box. It, it can scan social media for anti-government dissent and comments. It can determine that a crime was made. It can charge you with the crime. It can try you for that crime and pronounce sentence. Perfect. That's exactly what we need. I mean, we don't need to be tying up a lot of humans to go out and prosecute other humans for criticizing the government. Let's automate this so we can do more of it. The dystopian machine can identify dissent against the state and suggest sentences for the criminals. That's the whole purpose of this. Forget about jury trial. We've forgotten about that, right? We turned the jurors into robots when the judges said, you are not here to judge the law and whether you agree with it or not. You're here to judge the facts of the case. I will give you the law, and I will tell you how to determine this. And they, they've turned them into robots. Because the real value of trial by jury is the nullification of unjust laws and unjust punishments. It's very clear uh, that that was the purpose. The founders made that very clear. English and American law tradition had made that clear. And they expressly stated that the purpose of the jurors was to judge not just the facts of the case, but the law itself. But we don't get trial by jury anymore. As a matter of fact, one of the things that really bothers me about this whole, well, let's uh, challenge the Biden uh, blackmail, the mandates, Let's, let's challenge that in court. And it's never heard by a jury. It's always heard by politically appointed judges you got one or two or three judges, and then you might get the entire 16 uh, judges at the Sixth Circuit Court or whatever. Eventually, you might get to the nine judges of the Supreme Court. But there's nobody that is representing us. It's simply the government and the bureaucracy reviewing its own actions. And that's what the jury is supposed to do. The jury is supposed to be there as a check against government usurpation of power. The citizen's power comes from three boxes: the uh, the soap box, the ballot box, and the jury box. And you could say a fourth one, in the cartridge box. I I think um, I added the soap box. Typically, people say the uh, cartridge box, the ballot box, and the jury box. But I think it comes from the soap box as well. Uh, anyway, um, <clears throat> that's been taken out already. And so we have turned the ro- the juries, if they even exist, we've turned them into robots serving the interests of the states. Now we're going to forget about humans altogether. And we'll just go directly with robots, the uh, bureaucracy in a box. It was trained in China, these uh, robotic prosecutors. And, and, you know, you put artificial intelligence in front of it. That's supposed to uh, give it a gloss that we're supposed to go, ooh, wow, oh, that's impressive. Wow, it's got a brain and it's thinking for itself. No, it's not. It's an algorithm. It's an algorithm. Uh, They were trained by using 17,000 real life cases from 2015 to 2020. Let me just say, you know, we talk about it being an algorithm and how you should not be impressed by these uh, you know, AI computers and things like that. Uh, I go back (laughs) a long ways to uh, early 70s when um, it was actually before PCs really became much of a thing. And uh, we would typically uh, go serve the machine. We would all stand in line, we would punch our cards and we'd stand in line in the middle of the night Karen would go with me and hang out. And uh, that was the best time because it was always such a crowd. We had 16 key punch machines and a quarter of them were always broken. You always had a guy from IBM in a white shirt and a tie. Uh, you know, tearing the thing apart and fixing it because it was a mechanical nightmare, and it could be a real nightmare if you had a a, a big program. Every single line of code was represented by a punch card, and you could have a giant tray of punch cards, and um, the machine could eat them. And <laughs> you get to go back and start all over again. And guess what? You make a mistake typing a punch card. There's no backspace, uh, delete. You start all over again with that card. So it was a it was a nightmare to use the thing, and we were all queued up. And it reminded me like like we were there to make our offering to the god of the machine, you know. You had this massive machine. I think of uh, Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Deep Thought. <laughs> and this thing is tens of millions of dollars. It's used for all of the science programs and other things like that at the university, as well as administration and, and at two different universities. University of South Florida, there was another university that used this big centralized control, and I thought, this is just the worst model. It's one of the things that turned me off about any kind of centralized control. And um, so uh, we would sit there, and, you know, you would get a computer printout in those days. And everybody would be like, oh, you know, it, it was like a revelation from God or something, People, the way people would worship this. And, of course, people who are working with computers realize it's garbage in, garbage out. There's, there's no awe that is supposed to be there from a computer printout. And that's the game that they're playing now by labeling it AI. You know, we, we lost the, the mystery and the magic and the uh, awesome uh, uh, aspects of the gigantic computers. And so now we have awesome intelligence. That's really what they're talking about. It's not artificial. It's awesome intelligence. Be impressed. Be very impressed. Be in awe of this thing. They used 17,000 real-life cases over a five-year period. They said uh, that this awesome intelligence is able to identify and press charges for the eight most common crimes in Shanghai. And one of these is not getting Shanghai, by the way, kidnapped and put into a press gang. Uh, they are two of the eight are, that's one quarter of them are crimes of dissent against the government. You know, they have things like, uh, gambling, uh, dangerous driving, theft, fraud, uh, intentional injury to other people, those types of things, you know, they that uh, you typically would see, credit card fraud. But then they have provoking trouble, which means that you are uh, criticizing the government. Or another one, obstructing official duty. So a quarter of them, of the most common crimes, are government dissent. Soon the AI prosecutor will be able to recognize more types of crime. Oh, I'm sure it will. And to file multiple charges against one suspect once it is upgraded. The system can replace prosecutors, but this would be the first time that uh, awesome intelligence, AI, is involved in pressing charges. They said so the accuracy of 97% uh, may be high from a technological point of view, but there will always be a chance of mistake. If you look at artificial intelligence that produces a transcript, now I've had a lot of people say, can you give us a transcript of the show? I try, but you know, the best one we've been able to find, which is Otter, um. It can come up with some pretty crazy stuff. And when you look at it, you've got to, what I like about Otter is you look at it, it's like, what? What did, did I What did I say there? You know, and I click on it and you can hear the underlying audio that it converted. And uh, if I didn't have that, it wouldn't make any sense. And so when you can have something that's 97% accurate, I've done that with uh, optical scans. I've done it with, you know, uh, looking at producing audio transcripts. And you can get total garbage uh but the worst part of this is um is how we have removed humans and uh, individual liberty out of the equation are right, you going to take a quick break and we will be right back stay with us This is the David Knight Show. All right. And I, I just, that reminds me as I went to the break, why I've been going to breaks. And I want to apologize for what happened yesterday if you listened to the podcast. I uh, put in these breaks at roughly uh, 20 minute intervals. And then I have been manually putting in the uh, commercials that you hear on the podcast that are being put in there by Spreaker. I, I just tell it where the commercial break is. I don't know where the commercials are going to be. And we've got some interesting. Um, as people point out, there are some interesting commercials. If you, uh, hear the show and hear the commercial, interesting match. But, um, uh, I, I try to put those in manually so that it doesn't do an awkward break. Unfortunately, yesterday I was in a hurry. Uh, I didn't, um, you know, I had a lot of things that I was trying to get done and I hit publish. Once you hit publish, uh, it automatically inserts them and pushes it out. So you know, it uh, didn't align that way. So that's one of the reasons why we're putting these uh, uh, these breaks every every twenty minutes. It also uh, gives me a little bit of a chance to uh, clear my throat and have a cup of coffee as well. While we're talking about crimes, <laughs> uh, many people will say, I've been known to say it myself, taxation is theft. Well, actually, <laughs> there's there's no honor among thieves. The IRS. Believe it or not, this is floating around uh, social media. I think I retweeted it, uh, but uh, I had to look this up. It's like, is this for real? Uh, Actually, not only is it taxation is theft, but it is also taxation of theft. (laughs) And they have here uh, illegal activities. Income from illegal activities, such as money from dealing illegal drugs, must be included in your income on Schedule 1. (laughs) They've got a code for people who are drug dealers, Maybe even the the particular type of drug you are involved in. Uh, you know, if you are a big pharmaceutical company, you know, pushing opioid, you're obviously not in the same tax bracket as the big pharmaceutical companies, uh, or rather as uh, uh, the Sinaloa cartel, where they're pushing, you know, cocaine. So, you know, we've got to make a distinction between Johnson & Johnson <laughs> pushing opioids and uh, uh, El Chapo uh, pushing coke. Uh, and then they have this, stolen property. If you steal property, you must report its fair market value in your income in the year that you steal it. Unless you return it to its rightful owner in the same year. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered com. It's
2: my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy.
1: that's chumbacasino.com.
0: No purchase necessary. DW void We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: Here. That's actually a thing. That's actually there. Uh, the uh, tax foundation says, yeah, it's true, you gotta report income from your thievery on the tax form. Uh, and uh, you know, by the way, let me let me pull this up. I don't think I, I showed you that. This is the actual uh IRS code there that I was just reading. If you steal property, you've got to report it. Fair market value in the year that you steal it, unless you turn it, return it to its rightful owner in the same year. Okay. So, um, yeah, that's the way <laughs> it's set up. And it's not really surprising. You know, it was Al Capone who, um, he beat uh, Elliot Ness and the Untouchables uh, in terms of the Volstead Act, the prohibition of alcohol. Uh, they didn't nail him. It was an accountant who nailed him for the non-payment of taxes. That's what he went to jail for. They first did a test case where they uh, went after a, a thief for that. And when they were able to get that through in 1927, uh, they, in Sullivan versus the United States, 1927, uh, sounds like the vaccine case, right? Except that was uh, earlier. Uh, a liquor uh, bootlegger was charged with tax evasion for not reporting his illicit income. He argued that to do so would be self incrimination and in violation of the Fifth Amendment guarantee. Well, that's kind of interesting. Uh, they were able to penetrate that because they can always come up with an argument to justify whatever it is that they're desiring to do. And so after they did that test case, they went after Al Capone and uh, charged him for that. Now, I think even more interesting, the, the rest, here's the rest of the story that you don't hear frequently. And that is that uh, the prosecutor came to Al Capone's lawyers and they agreed on a plea bargaining agreement. Uh, where he would, uh, you know, get a minor punishment and uh, pay some fines and that type of thing. And after they came up with that agreement from his lawyers, the uh, prosecutor decided that he would throw out that plea bargaining agreement. And uh, then he said, uh, and, oh, by the way, when we're talking about the plea bargaining agreement, you confess to the crime. Well, Al Capone didn't confess to the crime. His lawyers did. But they used that as well. (laughs) You see, they will use... Any trick in the book if they want to get you badly enough. And and so think about that. He had his lawyers negotiating with him. The prosecutor accepted it. Then the prosecutor threw it out and said, all right, now, since you had agreed to the plea bargain, that means that you agreed that you're guilty. And even though you didn't say this, Al Capone, your lawyers did. And he used that against Al Capone and got the conviction. Now, um, he didn't do all that much time. He was really kind of term limited in his uh, prison sentence by syphilis. Uh, which ate him alive. Uh, But um, that's one of the more interesting things about Now, Elliot Ness, in order to save face once they hit him with the income tax charges, Elliot Ness um, charged him 5,000 counts of violating Prohibition, the Volstead Act. The prosecutor said, I don't want to mess with that. We got him on income tax. (laughs) Look after him that way. Yeah, the Federal Reserve and the globalists strike again. The U.K., meanwhile, is inching closer to eliminating private car ownership. This is from a U.K. publication called Motorius. Motorius, like motor Okay, you got it. Uh, Clever. Uh, U.K. government transport minister Trudy Harrison recently spoke at a mobility conference in the U.K. addressing the future of personal mobility. In her comments... She said it was necessary to ditch the 20th century thinking centered around private vehicle ownership and towards greater flexibility and personal choice. Uh, Yeah, government control of your transportation and taking away your private car is not a move towards greater flexibility and personal choice. I mean, that's just a cynical lie. But the key thing that he points out, he said she said the quiet part out loud. And she showed the hand of what the government officials are going to do. It's time to stop private vehicle ownership. That's the point of all of this stuff. And let me say to you that the uh, electric battery cars, heavily subsidized that Elon Musk and now Detroit is producing, that is just a transition point. They're going to find a way to make them impossible as well. Uh, they're overburdening the electrical grid at the same time they're cutting down uh, the input into the grid. You know, they're strangling the power sources that are feeding the grid. They're putting cars, they're putting, uh, you know, banning all natural gas, for example, in New York City for heating, for cooking, uh, for doing anything. You've got to change everything to the to electric. And so while they're putting everybody on the grid for everything, mobility, uh, heating, cooking, all of this, they are at the same time strangling it on the back end. And uh, so the intent is to limit everything that you do, to limit your heat, to limit your travel, to limit your food, everything. And uh, that's what they're going to be headed toward. Uh, She said the quiet part out loud. She went on to praise not only public transportation, but also bike share services and e-scooters. See, you, if you really want flexibility and personal choice, you don't want that car. You want one of these e-scooters that are cluttering up the cities, uh, perhaps maybe not the city that you live in yet, but I tell you, it's it's really bad in Austin. It's like uh, California or something. What's more, uh, you've got 300 residents in Coventry, England, recently expressed interest in giving up their personal cars because now they have uh, a kind of a cash for clunkers type of thing where they will, you can give up your car, And they will give you 3,000 pounds of credit to use on government transportation. That's it. Just 3,000. And you can use it on government transportation. 73 cars are turned in and crushed because they don't want anybody to have independence. And the way that you get independence is to have something that uh, is not centrally controlled that you own. And uh, they have no interest in building or maintaining the roads around here. And uh, they are doing everything they can to shut down private ownership everywhere. He said, some have asked if we should start riding a horse instead in the name of progress. Well, they're not going to like that either because, you know, they're going to claim that the horses, like uh, cows, are engaged in uh, carbon emission, which um, I, they've been known to do from time to time. <laughs> uh, others are, trying this statement, uh, are tying the statement by Harrison with the looming government ban of all internal combustion engines by, wait for it, what date? What date is the date that they want to have the Great Reset in? 2030, of course, by 2030. They'd started talking about, oh, it's going to be 2045, then 2040, then 2035. and That's 2030, as we always knew it was going to be. After all, uh, electric vehicles aren't exactly cheap, so what better way to force people onto public transportation than by pricing them out of the vehicle market? as Eric Peters and I have said for years and years. This guy says, I used to say that as well, this U.K. journalist. He said, I'd be called a conspiracy theorist for saying that. Uh, He said, "Um, I've been calling out the government for quite some time on its plans to eliminate private ownership of cars. I've been called a crazy conspiracy theorist for trying to shed light on this disturbing topic. Well, people in the U.K. are starting to wake up to the very real possibility that they will become completely dependent on government-controlled transportation. And that is the stated goal. Uh, That's one of the things that uh, the UN and the Great Reset and the globalist government that is in control of every single country's government right now. Not one country that I know of that's not being controlled by the globalist, in one regard or the other. Probably the least controlled is Russia, but uh, everybody else... You know, even Russia is is buying into much of this. You know, years ago, about four or five years ago, I remember doing a report at uh, the big um, the big Austin car show, and it, it's a giant car show. They have a lot of interesting classic cars that have been either restored meticulously, many of them customized. That's that's what's really interesting to see. And uh, it, it was really amazing. I think it was called, was it called the Longhorn Car Show? Is that what it was called, Travis? Because I think you went with us as well. And I would go around talking to these people who are car fans because they would put up a folding chair and they would sit there and they would answer questions about the car, and restoration, things like that. And I talked to person after person. And this was about four or five years ago. And I said, you know, they're trying to ban private cars, ban internal combustion engines and all this kind of stuff. What do you think about that? And it didn't matter if the person was in their 60s or 70s or if they were somebody in their early 20s or late teens who was a car enthusiast already. Uh, They didn't believe that it was going to happen in their lifetime. That was the thing that astounded me the most, that the the young people didn't believe that this was going to happen in their lifetime. Yeah, it was just a conspiracy theory. I'm sure it'll happen at some point in time, they said, but we don't have to worry about it, not in our lifetime. Uh, In San Diego, the government there, the board of directors came up with a $160 billion initiative to boost public transportation. Yeah, maybe it's gonna be a monorail or something. No, $160 billion doesn't buy anything anymore with all the corruption and waste that we have in terms of road construction. As this UK guy says, well, that's a hefty price tag for a very small area. And uh, the citizens rose up against that. There was gonna be funded by a tax per mile fee in San Diego. It was such an unpopular move that it was shelved, for now. But he says, uh, we know the driving tax is coming as well. As unpleasant, here's the bottom line. He's, He's speaking to car enthusiasts. And you always say, you may not be interested in politics, but politics is interested in you. He says it this way. As unpleasant as politics are, if car enthusiasts, and really anyone who enjoys going wherever they want to please, when they please, in their privately owned vehicle... If they don't start taking a stand, our freedoms will be severely restricted in ways that you didn't think were possible, in a time frame that you didn't think would happen. Uh, I'll add that part of it. As we were talking about predictions, and of course, every year around uh, New Year's, you always have people dragging out Nostradamus' predictions. And so this headline, this clickbait headline that was on the New York Post Nostradamus predictions for 2022, cannibals, robots, and the rise of cryptocurrency. All right, they got my attention. How in the world did Nostradamus predict robots and cryptocurrency? Yeah, cannibalism was a thing, Uh, (laughs) uh, very well known back in, what was it, 15, yeah, 1555 when he was writing this stuff. That's one of the things I used to mock QAnon from the very beginning. I said, this is, they're, they're, they're taking the Nostradamus approach. They make their predictions, but they put them in these vague statements so nobody can ever figure out if it was fulfilled or not, right? You make it in, intentionally vague. Here's an example. Uh, when they talk about cannibalism, Nostradamus predicted that inflation and starvation will befall us this year. He wrote, so high the price of wheat, that man has stirred his fellow man to eat. Oh, well, yeah. is this, <laughs> again, is this Nostradamus or is this QAnon stuff? Uh, it's just as ridiculous as QAnon. And it's the same approach. They can always say, well, you just misunderstood what I had to say when it doesn't come true. Uh, when it comes to robots, here's what they think. <laughs> it's a prediction for robots. is The moon in the full of night over the high mountain. The new sage with a lone brain sees it by his disciples invited to be immortal. Eyes to the South, hands in bosoms, bodies in the fire. Now that's supposed to tell us that, that uh, robots are coming. Uh, and then finally the rise of cryptocurrency. Uh, and it's not really the rise of cryptocurrency. It's really the fall of currency. Uh, and, uh, Did he predict this is the one that is uh, most accurate, but uh, we could see this coming almost as far away as Nostradamus. (laughs) If you're watching the federal (laughs) reserve, if you watch their pump and dump, especially since 2008, the copies of gold and silver inflated, which after the theft were thrown into the lake at the discovery that is all exhausted and dissipated by the debt, all scripts and bonds will be wiped out. Well, you know, that sounds pretty accurate. Um, (laughs) <laughs> but we've gone through many such cycles as that in, uh, uh, in uh, human time. Finally, uh, before we get into Fauci says, we'll do that after the break. Uh, understand where the, uh, we, we can talk about QAnon and his cutesy little poetry, his Nostradamus-type stanzas and stuff like that, the whole QAnon nonsense. The whole thing is a CIA op. Uh, and, you know, Flynn finally admits that. Uh, we knew that for a long time. But uh, he was the guy selling it, so he ought to know, right? (laughs) Another one of these uh, controlled agents feeding you lies. You know, Flynn, uh, Pachinik, Alex, these guys, I tell you what. But here's where the real fight is over language. Christian teachers going to war against transgender pronouns. Forget all this cutesy rhymes and quatrains and all this other kind of stuff. right, The battle is right there in front of you. And uh, so some of these teachers, Tanner Carross in May, suspended in um, Virginia, I think it was. I think he was in Loudoun, Virginia. Maybe it was a different place. But uh, these things are breaking out all over the country. And you have um, uh, one attorney who takes these types of cases. He said, uh, I'm getting so many phone calls across the country on a regular basis because this is the point of attack. Point of attack is on our sanity on reality, but especially on uh, our, it's a spiritual attack. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Stay with us. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
3: laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh?
0: Ah, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Ch- ch-
3: To the David Knight
1: Show. All right, let's play a little bit of Fauci says. It's kind of like the game of Simon Says, except it has real world consequences It can destroy entire nations, and it is global in its consequences. Quite frankly, I have a, a listener from South Africa uh, sent me this um, at the end of the week last week uh, from Johannesburg. Said um, I hear the show 3 a.m. South Africa time. Uh, via the Govern America radio app. I, that's that's great. That's one I had was not aware that I was on, so that, that's really good to know. Uh, like yourself, I cannot grasp how 8 billion humans can still believe in this urban legend, this pandemic uh, that has gone on and on endlessly. I note that the local .gov here in South Africa has been gradually coming around to the small dose of sanity and they're no longer tracing or wanting to quarantine people who have a dose of the common cold or the coronavirus. What am I saying? He says, I meant the deadly, virulent C-19 that wipes out the obese, the very old, while leaving 99% of the rest of society utterly unaware of its existence. He says, I hope um, this group of lawyers and academics and scientists who who are going to the ICC to put on the trial the likes of uh, the science and the rest of the politicians who are out there to liquidate what is left of us, I hope they succeed. Bigly. Yeah, Bigly. Like that, uh, we know who that is. He said, my wife thinks that Fauci is a 21st century version of Edgar Hoover. That's absolutely right. Uh, he knows he's been around there forever, just like Jagger. Edgar. Uh, he knows where all the bodies are buried. He knows how to blackmail everybody. He is a consummate politician, just like J. Edgar Hoover. Uh, good analogy. Uh, And that he knows where all these bodies are buried and the rest of them are too scared to tell him uh, to go. Hasn't this Fauci character reached his sell-by date, David? He's a civil servant after all. Are they not supposed to retire at 65 or 70 in the U.S.? I smell a big rat here. Well, I do as well. And we all are sick and tired of Fauci, aren't we? Well, no, some people are not. You know, Biden's not tired of him. Trump is still not tired of him. Trump got angry a few times when uh, Fauci threw shade at him. And he retweeted some other people who said, fire Fauci. But that's really the only time that he really came back against it. But now here's Fauci telling us what we should be doing for New Year's Eve because, you know, we're going to start out or end the year doing what we've been doing all year for most part. I mean, you and I have not been doing it, but the the government and the public health officials and the media have been doing what Fauci bids. And so we're going to end the year by doing what Fauci says. Uh, We'll begin the year doing by what Fauci says. Uh, I don't know when this ever ends, quite frankly, but here's what he has to say about New Year's Eve. But for those
0: looking to celebrate the new year, Dr. Fauci offered his recommendations today.
1: I have been telling
2: people consistently that if you're vaccinated and boosted and you have a family setting in the home with family and relatives. But when you're talking about a New Year's Eve party, we have 30, 40, 50 people celebrating. You do not know the status of their vaccination. I would recommend strongly stay away from that this year. There will be other years to do that
1: but not this year. other years. Yeah. There'll be years after Fauci is gone that we can have parties and we can have a life, maybe. Who knows? Uh, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think the damage that he's doing is going to be permanent, and it's going to be long-lasting, and they're not going to get rid of it. We've had multiple officials just in the last couple of days, first in Ireland, then in the U.K., then in Australia, public health officials saying this is going to go on for years, and we know that. So – it's just like a game of Fauci says, I, I, you know, I would stay away from that. You don't want to have a party. You don't want, you know, you might be vaccinated, but you could have 30, 40 people there, you know, and your, your vaccine don't protect you. So, uh, uh, you know, you're, you're at risk here, right? The vaccine doesn't work. In other words, now uh, Fauci is saying and really pushing uh, again, this is he's been dropping this, but now he's really doubling down on the Fauci says we've got to have vaccine mandates for all air travel. Here's what Mr. Science has to say.
4: Vaccine requirement for domestic air travel in the United States. Um, and, and when the president was asked, should there be one, he said that his team has, has said it's not necessary uh, at this point. Do, do you agree with that? That, that, that there shouldn't be a vaccine requirement for domestic air travel?
2: Well, it depends on what you want to use it for. I mean, vaccine you want to blackmail people? people coming in from other countries... <laughs> is to prevent newly infected people from getting into the country. A vaccine requirement for a person getting on the plane is just another level of getting people to have a mechanism that would spur them to get vaccinated. <laughs> Namely, you can't get on a plane unless you're vaccinated, which is just another one of the ways of getting requirements, whatever that might be. So, I mean, anything that could get um people more vaccinated would be welcome. But with regard to the spread of virus in the country, I mean, I think if you look at wearing a mask and the filtration on, on planes, things are reasonably safe. We want to make sure people keep their masks on. I think the idea of taking masks off, in my mind, is, is really not something we should even be considering. Which but is- that's what we meant by it depends on what the goal of getting people vaccinated before they get on a domestic flight.
4: Yeah, yeah. And, of course, the, the airline CEOs were suggesting that, uh, you know, that, that we may, not, no, may no longer need a mask. I hear you loud and clearly you disagree with that on, on, an, on the airplane.
1: Yeah, because, you know, when you've got a uh, high-quality HEPA filter, which may or may not uh, stop the stuff, you should instead use a, a cloth mask. Uh, that's going to protect you. Uh, HEPA filter won't. Uh, that's the science that this guy's selling. You see there that he's not concerned about health. You know, a vaccine isn't going to protect you. You still got to wear your mask. You know, nobody should fly unless they're vaccinated. And then everybody on the flight needs to continue to wear a mask because it would spread because the vaccine isn't going to protect you. It isn't going to uh, keep you from spreading it to other people. It isn't going to keep you from getting it. It's not going to keep you from getting sick. So you've got to still wear the mask. That's our protection level now, he says. But when he says it's just another level of getting people to have a mechanism that would spur them to get vaccinated, that's the, the thing. Always the thing. It's not about help. It's not about stopping the spread. It's not about keeping people from getting sick. No, no, no. It's about making sure everybody gets this useless vaccine. And it is useless. If it doesn't do anything to protect you, if it doesn't do anything to stop the spread, it is useless by definition, except to him. It is very useful because it is a tool, a weapon. It is a bioweapon killing people, and it is also a tool of population control in the other sense, making sure that they can keep you under house arrest if you don't do what they say. So you have a choice. You know, do you want to have the population control where you're killed, sterilized, or whatever, or do you want to have the population control where you're in a gulag? That's your choice. I, you know, I don't want to mandate anything. You know, This is just, uh, just blackmail. It's just blackmail, as Zero Hedge puts it. So to translate what he has to say, he says, just another level of getting people to have a mechanism that would spur them to get vaccinated. To translate that, Fauci wants to use the removal of individual freedoms to put people in a position to have to accept the mandate before getting their prior freedoms back. It's theft. It's blackmail. That's what it is, to translate Biden did not respond to questions as to whether or not he was considering implementing a domestic air travel vaccination requirement, but he told reporters the subject was discussed on a call with the nation's governors yesterday morning. Quote, they asked Dr. Fauci some more questions about everything from whether or not he thought he was going to move to test at home. I mean, on air flights and that kind of thing, said Biden. As he left. For a beach trip. Yeah. You know, talk about puppets. Talk about <laughs> uh, theater. Yeah, that's what it is. Fauci says fa- here's another fact. And these are all the headlines Fauci says this. Fauci says that. Fauci says that. I'm sick and tired of this. Uh, Fauci says domestic travel vi- vaccination rules should be considered. He said that again on MSNBC that it's uh, reasonable to consider that. He says, as you just heard, masks forever on airplanes. Uh, now American travelers should be expected to wear masks forever on commercial air travel. Fauci is clearly signaling there will be no end. Again, listen to, you know, you think about what he just said in that clip. Everybody should be vaccinated to get on a plane. And then you should have masks because the vaccines aren't going to protect you on the plane or anywhere else. Uh, Removing the mask on airplane, he said, is not something we should even be considering. Uh, We want to make sure that uh, people keep the masks on. I I think the idea of taking masks off, in my mind, is really not something we should be even considering. So he is saying this even as he is pushing Omicron fear. So think about all the cognitive dissonance, all the Orwellian doublethink that is going on here. Everybody needs to get the vaccine. Why? Well, because I say so. Yeah, that's just the goal. And, and then once you get the vaccine, you still got to wear the mask. And we've got to be concerned about this because we got Omicron everywhere. Here's, here's the fear factor of Omicron. And then he follows up after the fear factor. He follows up with a relaxation of quarantine rules. I mean, this is beyond a theater of the absurd. Here's the fear part. Omicron fear.
2: Well, certainly, this is unprecedented to see this rapidity with which any individual virus spreads throughout the world. It is really extremely unusual. It's a doubling time of two to three days, closer to two days, which means that if you start off with a few percentage of the isolates being Omicron and you do the math and double that every couple of days, it's not surprising that just a week or two ago, we had only 8 to 10%, and now we have 73% of all the isolates are Omicron. That is truly unprecedented.
1: Well, first of all, how does he know that 73%? They're not doing genetic sequencing on any of this stuff. That's a total lie. They're not even testing for this stuff. They're just saying, just like they did with Delta, uh, they're saying, um, uh, well, you know, it's uh, we, we, you know, we're not running the test for Delta. And it's against the law to tell you if you tested positive for Delta, but... You know, we're not even have the, You don't even have the tests. But we know that Delta is everywhere. So we know that if you're sick, it's Delta because nothing else would penetrate the protection of these vaccines. How do we, you know, this is the circular logic. Well, we're told by Pfizer after they looked at it for two weeks, uh, we're told that it's 100% safe and effective. Therefore, this must be something else if people are getting sick. Uh, if they're having heart attacks and strokes and all this kind of, it must be a Delta variant or variant or an Omicron variant or something like that. It's not a failure of the vaccines. And, and we know that if all these people are getting sick, it, it must be the Delta thing. We don't even have to test it. And he doesn't have a test. He's just straight up lying to you. And who cares about the rapidity of how this thing is traveling around if nobody's dying from it? As I point out, we had in the UK the first case worldwide, worldwide, of somebody allegedly dying from Omicron. And when the press started asking questions, Who is it? How old are they? Did they have any other comorbidities? No answers. They won't even answer what town geographically this happened in. And so nobody believes them, rightfully so. They're making it up, the U.K. government. And then in Texas, you had another similar situation where supposedly somebody died. The media is all over it. Now, the Texas Department of Health has not said that it is Omicron, but the media is saying, oh, we had a guy here who died, and we think it's Omicron. It's like, well, you know, we don't know that. We don't even know if he died with a variant. We don't even know if he died with a coronavirus, let alone from it. And we don't know if it's Omicron. So this whole thing is a lie. But think about the rapidity aspect of this. In the past, we have had these madmen who are running our bioweapons programs. This is a straight over from Operation Paperclip and uh, the things that were happening uh, with the CIA running these uh Uh, these weapons programs, and they have conducted tests on the New York subway where they exposed people. They wanted to test, uh, well, what what would we, how would we do it? Of course, we're not going to do it, but we want to know how it could be done. Uh, So we can prevent it, of course. And so they do a simulation of uh, a pathogen being released in the subway system in New York. And then when it comes out, they say, uh, well, no, don't worry about it. Yeah, it's very contagious, but it's harmless. Well, can't you say the same thing about a virus that doesn't kill, it hasn't killed anybody? I mean, look at the weeks that they have been milking this Omicron panic and nobody's died. (laughs) It's like Alex Jones, nobody died. Um, (laughs) uh, But uh, so when are we going to get to sue them uh, for for that kind of thing? Uh, But they did the same thing in California. And they did get some people very sick with that particular one. But they had another, you know, simulation of a bio attack. They released it uh, out in the ocean to, you know, wash over California town. And they kept saying, don't worry, you know, it's it's spreading and, and all this. Kind of, but it's harmless. But not with this. No, no. If, you, if you're going to have this virus that is spreading rapidly, it doesn't matter if anybody's getting sick. It doesn't matter if nobody's dying. Be afraid. Be very afraid. So Fauci has indicated that there won't ever be an end to wearing masks. And uh, as this is happening, we're starting to see the escalation of violence. I'm not going to play the clip, but it's kind of disturbing to watch it, um, and it's uh, difficult to understand what's going on when you listen to it. But uh, you've probably seen this viral clip of a woman on the airplane. Uh, She is probably, I would say, guess in her 30s, and she's attacking an elderly man who is in his 60s or 70s, I guess. Uh, he's got his mask down to eat, and she's got her mask down. And she is in his face yelling and screaming at him. He's like, go away, Karen. Sit down, Karen. He kept shouting at her. Uh, but she's, then it's not enough to verbally assault him. She physically batters him, slapping him multiple times, and then punching him with her fist. And the flight attendants are just standing there doing nothing. Finally, after she strikes him with her fist and draws blood, At that point, they start to do something. Uh, But um, uh, he kept telling her, I'm eating, I'm eating. And uh, she's got her mask down the entire time she's screaming at him for not wearing a mask. This is the insanity that is being inculcated in society by people like Fauci, by CNN, by MSNBC. They know what they're doing. They're weaponizing civil chaos division and a civil war. And they're driving these people these nuts Absolutely insane. Her name is uh, Patricia Cornwall. She was arrested after the uh, flight uh, landed. Um, And uh, he kept shouting, sit down, Karen. She says, uh, kept telling him, put the effing mask on. Tell him to put the mask on, she said, to the flight crew that was doing nothing to restrain her. And then he said, put yours on. And uh, referred to uh, her as a, uh, uh, with a uh, pejorative term, (laughs) beyond Karen. Uh, so she was arrested and taken into FBI custody. As they point out in Zero Hedge, the timing is interesting, given that it was only a few days past the time that Fauci said in a TV interview, we want to make sure the people keep wearing their masks. I think the idea of taking masks off, in my mind, is not even something we should be considering. She was, again, unmasked uh, the entire time. Not only did she hit him, uh, she spit in his face. You know, because it's all about health, isn't it? That's why you keep your mask You think your mask works? Wouldn't you think that she would put it on to protect herself from this dangerous guy? Uh, we've seen this type of thing in the UK as well. Uh, two weeks ago, 16th of December, you had a big fight on a train. A video of that as well. Got very violent. And it was instigated again by people who were angry at people who were not wearing a mask. So the maskers are the ones who are initiating this. They're the trolls. They're the Karens. They're the initiators of force. The brawl reached its peak when the man who was originally telling people to wear a mask shouts at one man, you've got a chance to walk away before shouting at the top of his lungs and trying to get out of his seat. In the background, two women who are pushing and pulling each other end up grappling on the seats. One of them is swinging a punch at the other. They said uh, it was utterly terrifying and the children were left in tears on the carriage. And this is where this is really hitting us. Uh, Dr. Mark McDonald, that I've interviewed a couple of times, has got an excellent book uh, about the uh, pandemic of fear. He said um, that this uh, lockdown policy, these mask mandates, are creating a generation of children that are not only psychologically damaged, uh, like this woman uh, you saw on the plane. Think about that. If they can do that to an adult woman, what are they doing to the kids? Not only are they psychologically damaged, but they also are exhibiting lower IQs. And they're showing signs of social brain damage. Uh, he said um, in an interview, he said children born in the pandemic have had a significantly reduced verbal, motor, and overall cognitive performance compared to children born pre-pandemic. He said the masks, the schools of Zoom, the lockdown mandates have all led to deprivation overall of social contact, of not being able to see faces, of being stuck at home all day. This has actually caused brain damage to youngsters. And then you have Carl Hennigan uh, in this article from uh, Epic Times, who is uh, director of the Oxford University Center for Evidence Based Medicine, now the UK. He says eight out of 10 children, according to a study that he released, eight out of 10 children and adolescents report worsening of behavior or any psychological symptoms or an increase in negative feelings due to the pandemic. He said, school closures contributed to increased anxiety, loneliness, and stress. Negative feelings due to COVID-19 increased with the duration of the school closures. Deteriorating mental health was found to be worse in females and in older adolescents. I well, like that woman. I guess you could call her <laughs> an older adolescent. Uh, she was female. Uh, the first thing is to de-escalate any fear and anxiety around COVID for children, and yet they're doing exactly the opposite. Teenagers come out of lockdown restrictions being so wrapped up in social media and phones and Zoom school because they've been trained for the last year and a half that they do not even want to go outside anymore. That is the society that we have been engineered into. Take a quick break, and we will be right back. Has your news been censored, banned, censored, banned over and over again? Has vital information been held prisoner by mainstream and anti-social media? It's the duty of every thinking person to make the great escape to the DavidNightshow.com. There you'll find links to live streams, videos, audio podcasts, and support links. Live stream the show at DLive and T***** every Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. Eastern. Videos at BitChute and YouTube. New audio podcast, The Real David Knight Show, at Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart, Spotify, and more. But even though there's a light at the end of the tunnel, without your support, the show will run out of gas. The links to support the show are at thedavidknightshow.com to donate via Subscribestar, donate via or donate via Cash App, Bitcoin, or P.O. Box Our sincere thanks to all of you who have stood with us to get this far. Please don't forget to share the links and pray for the country as well as our family. About uh, Fauci, (laughs) and I just played for you uh, the fact that he's selling fear of uh, Omicron by talking about the rapidity. We've never seen this kind of rapidity of spread. Well, I would say we've never seen this kind of stupidity that is being pushed out in the name of science. But it's really just raw, unchecked authority. And so at the same time, he's pushing out, be afraid, be afraid, because this is spreading everywhere. Nobody's dying, right? But it's spreading very, very quickly. At the same time, he and other health officials around the world, are starting to pull back the quarantine times. Listen to this, as they are drastically cutting the amount of time, if you test positive, that you have to stay away from everybody else. Listen to this, this cognitive dissonance.
0: There are still a lot of questions about the new recommendations. Tonight, I spoke with the president's top medical advisor, Dr. Anthony Fauci, and began by asking him about the CDC's decision to shorten the isolation time from 10 to five days, and why now?
2: You have so many people simultaneously testing positive you want to make sure that particularly among essential workers that you get people out there much sooner and by much i mean cutting it in half saying that five days of isolation then come out and wear a mask for the rest of the time so you can keep people safe from getting infected from you if you still are infected but at the same time, getting you back to what might be an essential function in society. What do you say to people who are concerned that
0: these revised quarantine guidelines are being driven solely by worker shortages and not necessarily in the best interest of public health?
2: No, actually, we feel that it is safe to do that if you look at the chance.
1: You actually called him out on the hypocrisy of that. And of course, it is stupidity. It is hypocrisy. I said this from the very beginning as we saw this being modeled for the first time in China, well, we're going to lock everybody down. We're going to seal them in their rooms and so forth. I said, watch out, watch out. <laughs> you know what this is going to do. And I said, no matter what this is, even if it is a virulent bioweapon that was deliberately designed and released, the worst thing we could do is the lockdown that uh, Trump financially incentivized the governors to do, that Fauci and all the public health uh, bureaucrats are telling everybody to do. I said, because if you lock down... You're going to have all kinds of shortages of everything, food, medicine, you name it. And, of course, we did with the lockdown. And subsequent to that, we had last summer, we had in the U.K. what they called a ping-demic. As they started pushing out their tracking and control programs, they started, if you were stupid enough to put this on your phone, and it was only about a third of the population that was compliant in terms of putting that on, but it was bad enough that they had to stop it. Because what it was doing was if you had it on your phone and somebody else had one on their phone, it was comparing notes to see if you were in close proximity to somebody else. And then if anybody in your chain of contact tested positive, because the people who are going to put these things on their phones were also the people who are going to constantly get tested. They're paranoid. They're afraid. And so if somebody that had that on their phone, you had it on your phone, they go and get tested. They test positive with something that is you know, blowing this up with. Uh, magnification 1.1 trillion times, uh, then you get a ping and it says you've got to go into timeout for 10 days or whatever. And that was more devastating than the initial lockdowns because the initial lockdowns, they were only destroying the middle class. With these lockdowns, they were just, it was just happening at random. It, so it was happening with people who were generating power. It was happening with people who were providing health care, you know, just everywhere. And so they had to call an end to that. And that's what he's doing right now. They know that, uh, at least the narrative is, that this uh, Omicron is spreading rapidly. And they can very easily get a test, a positive test from people. Now, I don't know if that's the case or if they're getting a, a positive test because they've been vaccinated, right? If you have, just stop and think about it. You're magnifying viral debris by a ludicrous absurd amount, according to the guy who won a Nobel Prize for inventing the PCR test, Kerry Mullis, you are magnifying this to a ridiculous amount, and yet you are injecting people, whether they get uh, the Moderna, the Pfizer, the Johnson & Johnson, you're still injecting them with a um, something that's going to cause your body to reproduce fragments of this virus that they're supposedly testing for. Now, if your body is reproducing this, even if it's not killing you or making you sick, there's still going to be elements of that. Even if your immune system is still working on it, they're still gonna be able to pick up elements of that, especially if they magnify it to such a ludicrous extent. And so that may be one of the reasons why people are not sick. You know, they're calling this Omicron, it's, it's the vaccine. Uh, people whose immune system for the time being is still able to handle it, still might have traces of this. And so they're starting to say, well, okay, well, uh, We'll lock you down for only five days instead of 10 days. And we'll talk about that a little bit more coming up. But the big question is, again, as I said yesterday, you know, we had um, we've had Trump who has said now over and over again, and he's said it for more than 656 days. He was talking about how wonderful the jabs were even before that. But it's a wonderful jab. And I said, you know, think about it. It's a wonderful life. What, What if the jab had never been developed? Well, here's another what if. What if he had fired Fauci? Uh, that could have made a big difference. You know, what if instead of Fauci being in charge, he had used Scott Atlas instead of just his window dressing, he would have had Scott Atlas have some actual power. You know, he put Scott Atlas there just to make the base feel better. Scott Atlas has said, I went in and when I talked to Fauci and Burks and, uh, you know, the uh, other people at the CDC, he said they just, uh, they just looked at me. They said nothing, and they went ahead, and you know, he raised objections to this stuff. They didn't answer the objections. They just ignored him. And uh, so if we had fired Fauci, what difference would that have made? You know, we have, uh, if we go back and we look at this as uh, Alex Jones freaked out with this embarrassing, as it's becoming increasingly embarrassing to them, uh, the Candace Owens interview seemed to do it, I don't know why he wasn't shamed into rejecting Trump uh, after this was done immediately uh, back in uh, March, back 656 days ago. But um, it was actually, as I pointed out, it was December the 11th, 2019, that he held a ceremony talking about uh, how. He had succeeded in strong arming the fDA to violate all their procedures and issue an emergency use authorization. that was December the eleventh at that point, it was pretty obvious whose side Trump was on and it became more and more obvious i mean listen to um, listen to Trump this is April of twenty twenty Now think about this you know it was March the thirteenth that um He issued the lockdown order, the emergency order that I count 656 days. December 11th is now 748 days ago when he said, I've got them, you know, we've got an authorized vaccine and we're going to be pushing this thing out real quick now. And yet, after he locked everybody down within um, two weeks to two to four weeks, this is what was happening on social media.
0: Where he implied that if the Trump administration had acted sooner, more lives would have been saved.
2: You could logically say that if you had a process that was ongoing and you started mitigation earlier, you could have saved lives. Obviously, no one is going to deny that.
0: Despite amplifying a call to fire him, which caused the hashtag FireFauci to trend on Twitter, Trump has praised Fauci on several occasions.
4: We have, whether it's Dr. Fauci, we have the best people on earth. We have the most talented people on earth.
1: February, Dr. February 27th. Fauci,
4: Dr. Fauci is
1: great. No, he's a good man. February
4: 28th. I like uh, March Dr. 25th. Fauci a lot, just so you understand. He was a great basketball player, didn't he? <laughs> April the 1st. <laughs> a couple of years ago, but Two years ago. the head never changes. <laughs> the attitude never changes. So I have great respect for this group. In fact, I April 10th. Dr. Fauci. I said, why don't you move to New York, run against AOC. You will win easily.
0: And at an April 13th press briefing, Trump was asked why he retweeted a call to fire Fauci.
4: Today I walk in, I hear I'm going to fire him. I'm not firing him. I think he's what? a wonderful guy. you tweet something that said fire Fauci?
0: Why did you? Why did you fire Fauci?
4: Did fire you? Fauci. I retweeted somebody. I don't know. They said fire. Doesn't matter. I was immediately called upon that. And I said, no, I like him. I think he's terrific.
1: I like him. Yeah. Now, today, what he says, is when asked, well, why didn't he fire Fauci? Well, well you know, I mean... Uh, I didn't do a thing he said. I didn't do a thing he said. He did everything he said. You saw those clips. You know, a couple of those were before the lockdown order, but most of those were after it. And all of those clips happened, a couple of them before the lockdown, but all the rest of them happened between that emergency order of March the 13th and April the 13th. Why did he retweet that thing that said fire Fauci? Why did he start that hashtag trend? And this is 2020, folks, by the way, 2020. You know, so it wasn't day 656. It was day 30, day 30, Alex, when this happened. You remember remember that? Yeah, I'm sure you do, right? (laughs) You knew exactly what was going on. You want to say Trump is either completely ignorant or the most evil man that's ever lived. Well, uh, you covered for him. You told people, you put a pacifier in people's mouth. You told people it was 4D chess. What does that make you, Alex? Were you ignorant? or one of the most evil men ever when you did that. Uh, So when you look at uh, this, why did he do it? It was only because he was criticized by Fauci. Every time he'd get criticized by Fauci, he would um, would put out something like fire Fauci or whatever. And then he would kiss and make up and, and leave him in place and, and talk about how much he loves Fauci. I don't know why it was out there. I just retweeted something that said fire Fauci. I don't know. It had nothing to do with Fauci criticizing me. That was the game he was playing. He was throwing that out at Fauci. This had nothing to do with protecting your liberty. Nothing at all. As a matter of fact, that was April of 2020 after he had played Fauci's game, after he would financially incentivized the medical dictatorship by you know, chunking out uh trillions of dollars to governors and to hospitals to incentivize uh the martial law to incentivize the malpractice that was happening through the hospitals you get to and then locking everything down in terms of the election not having um you know afraid to have events which now you know we got more people who died this year under Biden and these vaccines more people died this year and they're talking about it's so, oh we got delta it's even worse and we got omicron it's even worse and yet Trump is going around doing events but he wouldn't do events in 2020 for the election because that would show that it was a fraud so he played along with the games and then you get to November the 2nd uh, just a day or so before the election and uh, this is what he how he is playing the crowd this is how he is playing his supporters
3: At a rally in Florida yesterday, President Trump thanked the crowd for their advice and commented on Dr. Fauci's future.
4: Don't tell anybody, but let me wait till a little bit after the election.
1: Yeah, we didn't do it all 60 days. He was grifting uh, people for Stop the Steal and the January the 6th thing. wrong a lot. Yeah, that's all he did.
3: That was the crowd chanting Fire Fauci ahead of time. The White House blasted Dr. Fauci on Saturday after he was critical of the administration's pandemic response in an interview with The Washington Post.
1: Now, that was November, just a couple of days before the election. And now that he's holding all these interviews, this is what he tells Judge Jeanine when she asks him, well, why didn't you fire Fauci? You know, he he could have done it uh, for hundreds of days. He could have done it 60 days after the election. But he was focused on raising money just like Alex Jones was. Uh, So here's what he tells uh, Janine. Let's talk about
0: um, what's going on in this country with the firing of police officers, firemen, nurses, the ones who were our heroes. They were on billboards all over the country. And now what we've got are, you know, we're talking about vaccinating kids who were five years old to 12 years old and then forcing them to continue to wear masks. Um, Our heroes are being fired. They're losing their jobs. Are you sorry you didn't fire Anthony Fauci?
4: Well, it's not because of him they're losing their job. It's because of some bad policies that are being made by the Biden administration. But look, if you look at my relationship with Fauci, first of all, he's been there like for 40 years. So yeah. you walk in and, you know, he goes, hi, my name's Tony. Oh, great. <laughs> hi, Tony. How you doing? But everything he told me to,
1: you know, suggested that we do, I didn't do. I went the opposite. Bullface lie. Bullface lie. As a matter of fact, you know, it was just about uh, criticizing Biden. See, it, it's all political to Trump. It has nothing to do with the pandemic. It has nothing to do with your health. It has nothing to do with your liberty or the Constitution. It's about him. It's about him being able to attack his political enemies. If Fauci is uh, attacking him, he's going to put out tweets, fire Fauci. If um, no matter what happens, you know, he's going to push this uh, jab and then he will push the idea that it is uh, simply Biden. And this is what he had to say uh, as he's uh, talking about the uh, about Biden. He goes back and he criticizes Biden and the Obama administration for H1N1 because, you know, they didn't shut the entire world down over H1N1. He says it was a, a disaster. Do you remember H1N1 being a disaster? No. No, because they didn't do what Trump did. Listen to this.
4: Biden failed very badly with the H1N1, with the, as you know, uh, the the he had a chance to do something, and they had a tremendous, tremendous failure, H1N1. It was a disaster. No, it wasn't. He's it over this. What he's taken over, warp speed, we had it, our military, what they've done in terms of delivery has been incredible. Incredible. Yeah. And we gave up to 1.3 million shots a day before he even took over.
1: Now, the only way that you can say that H1N1 was a disaster is if your metric is how many people got vaccinated. Fauci worked with Monsef Slaoui in 2009 to push out Pandemrix. Prior to this, Pandemrix was the best documented case of adverse effects, and it took a year for it to show up. But you had people in Scandinavia, uh, they they identified it first in children, but it took a year, even with the children who have a higher metabolism rate. They're like the canaries in the coal mine. They had narcolepsy. They had catalepsy where you just freeze, narcolepsy where you just fall asleep all of a sudden. Some of those kids now are in their mid-20s and committing suicide because it's ruined their lives. They can't do anything because they're constantly freezing or falling asleep. But the people in Scandinavia, the health officials there, not beholden to, not owned by big pharmaceutical companies, exposed it after a year. Now, Trump calls that a disaster not because of that. He doesn't call it a disaster because it shut down the world's economy and created chaos and supply chain issues that are still rolling through. It was a disaster because only 25% of the people took that fauci slowy uh, concoction. And that's what he's calling a disaster. It is only a disaster if you're nothing but a paid puppet of the big pharmaceutical companies like Trump. Then it's a disaster. How, they they kept working. How do we get more than 25% of the people to take this? Well, you get somebody like Trump. The show for the companies. Listen to this. Let's talk
4: about COVID because Operation Warp Speed is one of the positives from the administration and you've brought up the need for vaccines. You've actually told um, people to get vaccines. I'm just curious, I I got the Pfizer vaccine. Which vaccine did you get? Have you shared that with us yet? Well, I got the Pfizer and uh, I would have been very happy with any of them. I thought a very bad statement was when they did a pause on Johnson & Johnson. I think that frightened people. That was a bad thing to do.
1: Yeah, we shouldn't stop because people are getting, you know, dying of uh, blood clots, losing their limbs. Have you seen the pictures of how many people have been amputated because of these Trump shots, uh, had their limbs amputated? It's just this is one of the worst crimes against humanity I've ever seen. And this guy can't stop crowing about it because it's a political thing for him. It's a point of pride. It's about his ego. It's not about health or the Constitution. Or anything. It's simply about his ego. Always has been. Listen to this. Save the world
4: spending billions of dollars to develop it Fair. before we knew and before we had the approval that it was going to work it works incredibly well 95 percent, maybe even more than that it works incredibly Liar. well and pharmaceutical it's pharmaceutical shill country and it's saving frankly the
1: world saving the world so, so
4: mr president i know that you received the vaccine mrs trump also got the vaccine Here's
1: Would another you controlled
4: to our audience trump the, cheerleader the vaccine then barteroma I would I would recommend it, and I would recommend it to a lot of people that don't want to get it, and a lot of those people voted for me, frankly, but...
1: Yeah, big mistake, wasn't it? Big mistake. Don't make that mistake again. Don't give that guy the time of day. Don't give him a cent. He is a grifting criminal, a war criminal, saving the world. He's killing the world for the globalists. We'll be right back.
2: Listening to the David Knight Show
1: uh, Biden had to say, uh, Biden is out there with a conference with the governors, and of course, they're key. They have been key for Biden, they've been key for Trump, but especially for trump and the difference in approach is what I want you to think about here. right What Trump did was he put the governors in a position of power. he gave them more money many times more money, each of these governors, than the entire state budget. And that's true whether you're talking about somebody like Brad Little in Idaho or you're talking about uh, somebody like Gavin Newsom in California or Cuomo in New York. He empowered these guys like they have never been empowered before. All they had to do to keep up their end of the bargain was to make sure they followed the globalist guidelines to smother the economy and keep the so-called emergency going. Keep the fear up. Keep the dystopia going. Now, what Biden did was Biden kind of got in their faces and it's like, well, I'm going to take this over. And he's starting to wise up now. And the more dangerous approach is what he hinted at with the governors. Here's what he had to say. Look, there is no federal solution. This gets solved at a state level. This gets solved at the state level. I want you as my partners, right? And this is the whole thing. They just wanna be cut in on the power and the money. That's why they're opposing him. And um, he says, well, you know, he said in October the 22nd, 2020, when he was running, he said, "Uh, I'm I'm gonna shut down the virus. I'm not gonna shut down the country. 14 months later, he just admitted that there is no federal solution to the pandemic. What does that mean? Does that mean that it can't be fixed with the Trump shots? That's a federal solution. Can it not be fixed with the mandates, or you want to call it the Biden blackmail? Uh, the blackmail isn't going to fix it. You know, you either get this shot or you lose your job, your ability to travel, your ability to go to school, all these other things. So is it means that uh, there's not going to be any federal solution with blackmail? Uh, does it mean that these federal mandates about masks and other things, that social distancing, that that's not going to be the solution? What does he mean by that? And, of course, you could look at this and say, well, is he going to backtrack on these uh, mandates of blackmail? I don't think so. I don't think you look at these comments. He he says things. He takes them back. I mean, he's just like Trump. They're on both sides of the issue. They tell people what they want to hear. But I think the real message here is beyond the there's no federal solution. What he is doing is he's reaching out to them as partners. He will give them power. And he will give them money like Trump did. And that's the more dangerous approach. And I said that last year before the election. I said, Biden's approach, he is one of the most authoritarian politicians I've ever seen in my life. This is a guy who has pushed the mandatory minimums that locked up more people, especially black people, in our country than we have ever seen before. He has pushed one kind of federal ban after the other. He pushed civil asset forfeiture. There's not an authoritarian thing. He was part of the Patriot Act and all this rest. There's not an authoritarian measure that has happened in his long lifetime in the Senate that he hasn't had his fingerprints all over. He absolutely despises individual liberty and the Bill of Rights. He made that very clear during the Clarence Thomas hearings. He was far more concerned about Clarence Thomas supporting the idea of natural law of individual liberty, of God-given liberty that's in the Declaration of Independence, recognized in the Bill of Rights, that's what he came after Clarence Thomas for. He didn't come after him for the the silly little stuff that Anita Hill was accusing him of. Because, you know, quite frankly, I guess Biden didn't want to throw stones in that glass house of sexual harassment. Uh, He's, (laughs) you know, Anita Hill accused uh, Clarence Thomas when there was nobody around. Uh, never, nobody ever witnessed any of this. It was just simply what she said, uncorroborated by anything. Uh, but she accused him of making some uh, innuendo, some remarks that were uh, vaguely sexual and uh, without any witnesses. Biden didn't care about that. He went after him for supporting individual liberty and natural rights. And so I said last year during the election period, When I was attacking Trump, all these people, who do you want? You want Biden in there? Is that what you want? You want Biden to rule us? It's like, no, I don't want anybody to rule us. I want us to take our country back from the bottom up. But I said, you understand that Trump is more dangerous than Biden. Uh, Biden is going to be recognized for people. He's going to come in with a, a stench of authoritarianism. He's going to start bossing people around, and he's going to wake people up. And he's going to try to do it all himself. And his approach for the time that he's been in office is to do just that. We're going to have a centralized control and I'm going to take everything I can from you, everything that I can get away with. And that's what he's doing with his blackmail and the rest of this stuff. And he has not bothered to partner with the governors. And so this is, I think, a very dangerous statement. It's not anything encouraging about this at all. I think what he is doing is he's going to uh, take the approach of incentives and cooperation with these tyrants that Trump did. And I think that's a much more dangerous thing than what he's been doing. He said, I wish I'd thought about ordering 500 million at-home tests two months ago, but every American household is going to receive free rapid tests for the holidays and the new year. Well, if that's the case, if we get that, I'll put up a video, and maybe we can start a trend on social media. I'll put up a video of myself Throwing these things in the trash, or maybe I'll burn them. I don't know. They got some toxic materials and I'll just put them in the trash. Uh, So I I won't burn them (laughs) and we'll do it for every member of the family. You know, if they send us uh, five of these things, we'll, we'll get rid of all five of them on video. And you should as well. Biden says he agrees with the GOP governors that there is no federal solution to the pandemic. This is being, and there's another signal that this is a trap. (laughs) As, as uh, uh, General Akbar said, it's a trap. <laughs> or uh, Lori Lightfoot, uh, I, I get her confused with uh, Admiral Akbar all the time. For some reason, I don't know. Maybe it's the the eyes on the side of the heads, the uh, <laughs> diverging in different direction. Uh, Arkansas Republican Governor Asa Hutchinson, one of the biggest sellouts to this globalist pandemic that I have seen anywhere. Asa, Hutch- so when Asa Hutchinson and Biden are agreeing. Uh, You better keep your powder dry. So Asa Hutchinson, chair of the National Governors Association, cautioned the president against taking action that may step on the state's toes as they aim to fight the virus. What that's about is to say, we have power here. We can help you. hurt. It's the same thing a union boss is going to do to Donald Trump when he's trying to build a skyscraper in New York. Do you want us on your side? Or do you want us fighting you? You know, we can do a work slowdown. Or we can, you know, if you use us, pay us off well, uh, build your buildings here in New York out of concrete instead of steel like everybody else. And, you know, we got a, got a lot of slush there in the, in the concrete business. You do that, we'll make everything go very smoothly for you. Otherwise, we're going to push back. Well, that's what the governors are saying. This whole thing is nothing but a mafia protection racket. Uh, so then uh, Joe Biden says that, and he goes off to the beach to uh, have a great time. He said it ultimately gets down to where the rubber meets the road. And that's exactly what this is. Where the rubber meets the road is at the state level. Or we could put it another way. We could say it's where the mandate meets the man. And what is the date that that mandate is going to meet the man? <laughs> that's what they're working on. Hospitals and the ERs are being filled with symptomless COVID-positive people in Vermont. Vermont, where 77% of the population is vaccinated, it has the highest vaccination rate. And guess what? It has the highest number of positive tests. This is why I keep saying, you look whether it is one U.S. state versus another or it's one country versus another, there's a direct correlation. The more vaccinated you are, the more positive tests you're getting, the more sick people you're getting. It's the vaccine. The variants are a fantasy misdirection that they have created. They have no test for this. They're not testing people, even if they were able to identify in a laboratory in South Africa a variant. They're not applying that test to people. They've already said they don't have the test. They're not doing it. So emergency rooms in Vermont are being overwhelmed with people who have tested positive but have no symptoms. Vermont, 77% of the population vaccinated, as I just said, Vermonters who take the rapid tests and test positive are clogging up emergency rooms. See, they're not even sick. But this has become a cash cow for the hospitals. Hospitals aren't upset about this. Look, if you get a positive test from somebody and you put them in your hospital, $13,000 bonus, that's why they're filling up the ER rooms with them. Uh, They don't get that if somebody comes in with cancer or heart disease, even a heart disease that was created by the vaccines. They don't get a $13,000 bonus. But if you got a positive test, boom, that's money in the bank, $13,000 and 20% for everything that you do while they are there. So fill up the emergency rooms, send those tests out, keep that money flowing. The Vermont hospital director told WCAX, the flood of asymptomatic people is blocking care from the people who need it. But it is very, 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 very profitable. That's the key thing. That's what really matters, right? Uh, is media disinformation causing people to panic into going into the emergency room? Is the Pope Catholic? Well, no, actually, there's a question. It's whether or not the Pope is Catholic. There's no question that this is causing people to go into the emergency room. New York COVID hospitalizations, top 5,000 for the first time since February. Now, you see these types of headlines from NBC. You see it on the Drudge Report. Uh, look, Be afraid. Be very afraid. This thing is spreading. It's like wildfire. Everybody's getting, but nobody is sick. Nobody is dying. That's what they don't tell you. So what? So what? You know, the hospitals are making lots of money and nobody can get any treatment for any real disease. That's what? Many people continue to think that children do not become infected with COVID, said one person. This is not true. Yes, they can test positive as well. And they can also get money from that as well. Now, this is being made. This person had this quote from this article saying, well, you know, you think kids can't get sick, but, you know, they can test positive, too and be asymptomatic, and they can flood us with cash. Officials are reporting. Now, I told you that we had uh, one ship that was stuck at port, right? It's two. It's two ships now. 100% vaccinated. And on the one ship, the USS Milwaukee, 25% of the people on the ship have tested positive, even after they've had all of the Trump shots, all the Trump juice. And then there's another one, the USS Halsey, a destroyer, has uh, been postponed in terms of doing its rounds. And there it's not 25% of the 100% vaccinated crew. It is one-third. And here's what they say. Most only had mild symptoms or none at all. So you got one-third of the people on this destroyer, a, a ship that has about a, a crew of about 300 people. And you've got 100 of these people all vaxxed up, they test positive, no symptoms, and what are you going to do? You're going to shut down this pansy navy. It's unbelievable. You think these people are going to be able to fight a war? Uh, This this Pentagon bureaucracy that we have, they don't know what they're doing, and they're afraid to do anything. They're a bunch of... We have had this inbred bureaucracy running the Pentagon. They're firing sailors and Marines left and right for not getting the vaccine because of medical exemptions, because of religious exemptions, no religious exemptions allowed. And yet the vaccine is not doing anything at all. And they are putting the, they said, well, you have to do this because of readiness. Are you ready if you're going to cower in fear in a port? Because you've got people who test positive, but they don't even have any symptoms, and you're going to take your ship out of uh, active duty because of that? What a pathetic situation. So, uh, yeah, that's the pathetic state of uh, the military. Israel study will test the effectiveness of the fourth vaccine as they're pushing out boosters for children. You know what they're testing? They're not testing the effectiveness of the vaccine. They're testing their political power and the effectiveness of their orders. And yet again, we see this. We see Israel at the very beginning, uh, at the very tip of the spear of this. Reason Magazine says, RIP, rest in peace, so-called pandemic of the unvaccinated. And we've heard this not just from Biden, but we've heard it from Trump. We just heard it from Trump with his Candace Owens interview. Oh, nobody that's getting my shots getting sick. It's all the people who are dying. You, you people that uh, gave me money. You idiots. Uh, you unvaccinated people. You're the ones who are dying out there, right? That's what Trump is saying. Just the same thing that we heard from Biden, who said uh, just a, a December the 14th. This is a pandemic of the unvaccinated, said Biden. The unvaccinated. Not the vaccinated. The unvaccinated, he emphasized. And um, he said, and so everybody talks about freedom, said Biden, and not to have the shot or to have a test. Well, guess what? How about patriotism? How about making sure that you're vaccinated so you don't spread the disease to anybody else? How, what about that? Well, of course, that doesn't stop it. As Fauci said, nobody flies unless they're vaccinated. And, oh, you're still going to have to wear masks forever. So the vaccine doesn't stop the spread. It doesn't protect you. It doesn't protect other people. But see, Biden and Trump are on the same team. It's a professional wrestling Pfizer tag team match or the big pharma tag team match. So uh, Reason says, uh, yeah, what about that indeed? New York City's one-shot vaccination rate of 92% for adults, 83% for kids between 13 and 17, rivals any number in the free world, says Politico's Jack Schaefer. So think about that. We just talked about Vermont, the state uh, where... They have the highest vaccination rate, and yet they're being crushed with asymptomatic people filling up the emergency room. Do you think that's what's happening in New York as well? They have the highest rate of anywhere in the free world. I didn't know there was a free world left. Did you? Why would we even use that term? That is an antiquated term, the free world. Not until we shake off this pharmaceutical dictatorship Should we ever use that term again? Even at the Pointer Institute, these little so-called fact-checking shills, uh, they said, well, the vaccinated do not spread the disease. So they rated Biden's claim that this is something that's being done by the unvaccinated, not by the vaccinated, by the unvaccinated. Same thing that uh, Trump said. Guess what? They're both liars with their pants on fire and have been for years over this particular topic, killing the world. Uh, PolitiFact says, uh, the idea that vaccinated do not spread the disease. Well, that's, almost, that's mostly false. They said, despite epidemiologists' quotes, like the statement is not accurate and quote, vaccinated individuals can definitely infect other people. So they had those quotes in their report and they said, well, it's mostly false. Then. No, it's absolutely and totally false. Totally false. We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Stay with us.
3: listening to the david knight show
1: let's talk a little bit about the toxic medications we'll get into um, uh, bill gates here in just a second as well let's talk a little bit about the toxic medications we have uh, steve kirsch his newsletter says a new study shows that vaccines must be given monthly to be effective against omicron do you remember this came out december 24th do you remember <laughs> Babylon b a few months ago when they first started pushing the first booster and they said uh, Pfizer's come out with a monthly subscription service. They're going to call it Pfizer Plus, you know, like Disney Plus. And uh, $10 a month, and you get a shot every month. That, that's exactly what we're talking about here. It's, this is beyond satire level. Why are people playing along with this? Well, because you've got a lot of people, like that woman, on the plane. Hey, good. <laughs> Thanks for pulling that up, Travis. Um, you found that pretty quickly. Let's talk a little bit about the toxic medications. In South Korea... There are or protests on Christmas, and, you know. Christmas is um, it's interesting how it's celebrated in Asian countries that don't have much of a connection to uh, Christianity. I had a Christian friend who was Japanese, and she said um, in uh, Japan and a lot of the Asian countries, it's just kind of like a Saint Valentine's Day. You know, it's like Valentine's Day or something. You know, it's a you you it's a romantic holiday. You buy gifts, and it's time. You know. Uh, to um, uh, Baby, It's Cold Outside, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> so it's that. They love Santa Claus. They love Santa Claus and, you know, uh, Dubai and all these, these other places. You can make a lot of money, uh, or at least you could, when they had malls that were still open. But, you know, they had people who would go to these uh, wealthy Muslim countries and be Santa Claus. And the guy would work, you know, for about a month and make $50,000. You know, when $50,000 meant something a few years ago. <laughs> before we had the massive inflation we got right now. Anyway, going back to what happened in South Korea, one of the most vaccinated nations on Earth is seeing increased public pushback over the jabs as demonstrators in South Korea are demanding accountability for the deaths that they blame on the Trump shots. Now, it doesn't say Trump shots. That's me. They're, They're Trump shots. He's saving the world. No, he's killing people around the world. And... We're going to hang that on him, and he's going to own that in history. History will show his true role in all of this, and the role of the people who supported, who covered up for him. That will be exposed. God will vindicate, uh, and he will indict and judge. Uh, A similar rally happened in Busan on Sunday, uh, and... um, Uh, also in uh, Seoul on Christmas Day, aggrieved demonstrators held up large portraits of deceased family members killed by Trump shots. Like those typically displayed at funerals in South Korea, they testified as to how their loved ones died soon after being vaccinated against COVID-19. But it's a wonderful jab. It's a miracle. It's a Christmas miracle. Dozens of funeral portraits were displayed at Saturday's demonstration at the government complex in Seoul. Protesters called for the government to identify the causes of adverse reactions and to admit that vaccines are to blame. Good luck. More than a 1,000 South Koreans died shortly after receiving the Trump shots. But the government has confirmed a causal connection to vaccines in only a few of those cases. The rest of them are rare. Coincidences, you know, that type of thing. The usual narrative. Just one week into its rollout of COVID-19 vaccines in late February and early March, South Korea's disease control and prevention agency, their CDC essentially, said that seven people had died and 24 had reported serious adverse reactions after receiving their AstraZeneca jabs. The government reportedly began an investigation in August after a teenager with no underlying health conditions died following the inoculation with the Pfizer jab. Trump shot safety may become a contentious issue in South Korea's presidential election. Do you think it'll ever become a contentious issue in American elections? Will Americans really care? I mean, we had we had Alex and Roger and Ali Akbar and Flynn and the rest of these grifters ready to burn down the country to keep this shill, this lying evil shill in office when they should have been holding a rally against what he had done for the last year. Yeah, that's uh, what we have in America. The administration has pledged to compensate victims of vaccine side effects, but also it is the arbiter of whether the injuries and deaths even come from the jabs. Same thing you see, same pattern you see everywhere. Well, we'll give you some money if you really think that's the case. But uh, you'll have to make your decision to me. There will be no jury trial. We'll have a special master or some kind of a tribunal of bureaucrats who I'm sure that they're not owned by the pharmaceutical companies like Pfizer or I'm sure that these guys are honest and fair judges. They're not taking any bribes or getting any kind of padding. I showed you the picture yesterday. Jacinda Arden, you know, her net worth went up by 3,120% or something like that in one year. Yeah, she went from like a net worth of $800,000 to a net worth of, uh, what was it, uh, 20, $23 million or something like that in one year. Uh, they pay really well, don't they? <laughs> Not the government, the pharmaceutical companies do. Uh, she didn't make that kind of money from uh, being the prime minister. She made that kind of money from being a sales rep or Pfizer and Moderna and these other companies. MSNBC doctor calls for denying medical care to the unvaccinated. This is happening over and over again. You might expect that this is predictive programming, normalizing of this, that it is part of the plan, that they're eventually going to do this. We'll talk about that in just a second here. But um, MSNBC's resident quote-unquote doctor, Vin Gupta, I guess uh, is he in relation to Sanjay Gupta over on CNN? Uh, said that any unvaxxed person requiring medical attention should be last in line. He said, how do we rank that in order of priority? Well, we do it for organs, for kidney, for livers, for lungs. We say, do you smoke? Do you drink recently? If you did, you're lower on the list even if you need it. And we need to start thinking about that model. Well, we need to start thinking about a different model for health care, and we need to start thinking about a different model for politics and for government. Our medical institutions have failed. Our political institutions have long ago failed. And we need to start taking this back from the bottom up. It's not going to be done with a presidential election, folks. Sorry to burst your bubble. The presidential elections don't matter. And for the most part, the state elections don't matter either. It's your local elections. That's the only thing you got left right now. The only thing standing between you and a dystopian sci-fi future is coming together at the community level. That's the only thing that stands between you and that future. An anti-vax podcaster. They're cheering this now every time you see somebody who is, uh, you know, opposed the vaccines, regardless of what happens. Oh, yeah, this, is, this guy is really sick. Uh, and I'm sorry that he's sick. This is, uh, I don't know who he was. Doug Kuzma uh, contracted the virus at this uh, dog and pony show that Flynn is running, uh, the Reawaken America. He did it uh, earlier this month in Dallas. And uh, when I saw that, I remarked uh, to Karen. I said, about the only way they will ever get back on the Drudge Report is if I get some serious viral disease and they blame it on COVID. Oh, look at this, anti-vaccine podcasters, uh, <laughs> sick and dying, and as they uh, dance on my grave. Uh, but that's what they do. Uh, they, on the other hand, will completely ignore – people that have gotten the vaccine. Here's a couple of interesting. Now this first guy, we don't know for sure because nobody has uncovered whether he said anything bragged about getting vaccinated. It's not been uncovered as far as I can see. I can't find anything on it. Jean-Marc Valli. He was the director of the Dallas buyers club, uh, and many other films that I've not bothered to watch in the last 20 years, (laughs) but he was 58 years old. He died suddenly of a heart attack. Now, He's kind of on the young side of this. Uh, He was living in Quebec City. He was preparing to receive guests the following day. Uh, He was known, however, even though he's 58 years old, he was known as a fitness fanatic. He was known also as a teetotaler. So in other words, he was somebody who paid a lot of attention to his health. He didn't even take alcohol, let alone drugs that would have killed him. He was a practitioner even of the Wim Hof Fitness Method, uh, I don't know what that is, but uh, supposedly that's another uh, indication of how seriously he took his health. Uh, so there is no definite vaccine connection. And yet when a guy who is fairly young and had no record of any illness and pays very close attention to his health and works at it very hard, when he suddenly dies of a heart attack, under the kind of circumstances we're seeing now, that is suspicious. But I'm sure it's just a coincidence, don't you think? Or rare. Uh The interesting irony about this is that his movie that is most famous is the Dallas Buyers Club that had Matt McConaughey in it. And that is a story about a Texas electrician who was diagnosed with AIDS and given about a month to live. But instead, the guy started getting involved with alternative medicine and drugs. Because remember, it was Fauci who was in control of AIDS, Right, That's where he first had his big conflicts with Kerry Mullis, over the PCR test. Fauci came in and said, uh, well, what this is, is a virus. And I know it's a virus because of the PCR test. And Kerry Mullis said, well, if it is a virus, you can't prove it using my test because you're misusing the test. That doesn't tell you that. Uh, so you need to stop using my test to say that it's a virus, that it's HIV. Uh, it could be something else. And if it is something else, you're barking up the wrong tree and people are dying because of it. And so Fauci took that over and he ran that whole AIDS thing. It was a, you know, a big program for him, lots of money, lots of profile that he got. And the people who had AIDS were very upset with Fauci. They said he's just a consummate politician. One of the guys who was head of the uh, organizations that were going up to meet him told the other people, he said, uh, watch out for this guy. He's a consummate politician. He'll tell you whatever he wants, he thinks you want to hear. Just like Kerry Mullis said, he will look at you, he'll look straight into the camera, and he will lie to your face. That's Fauci. So with all the AIDS situation, with Fauci being given billions of dollars to find a cure for AIDS, identifying it as a virus, and saying, well, we got to come up with a vaccine for it and all this stuff, none of that was proving effective. And so this guy with the story about the Dallas Buyers Club, he was given a month to live. He started using alternative medicines and drugs that were not approved by the FDA. To help himself and help others who are suffering from AIDS and to prolong their life. So that entire movie that was made by this guy, the Dallas Buyers Club, is about people taking unapproved FDA uh, drugs and uh, having it work for them. And yet the same people who applaud that movie and the message of that movie will viciously attack anybody who takes ivermectin. They call it a horse drug. The FDA came up with that nonsense. The FDA knows better than that. I mean, when they did that, they lost every last shred of credibility they had. They were exposed, if you didn't realize it at that point in time, uh, they were exposed as nothing other than propagandists and shills for the for the uh, people that they're supposed to regulate. So we don't know whether or not this director died from the vaccine, heart attack, 58 years old, a health fanatic, uh, living a very clean lifestyle. But we do know that his story is exactly what is happening now with other people. Alternative medicine being denied that is safe and effective simply because they want you to take the pharmaceutical patented expensive medicine to give them, make them billionaires. We do know an individual, a 49-year-old New York Times editor dies one day after getting the booster shot from Moderna. Uh, Carlos Tejeda, a New York Times deputy editor, died at the age of 49, suffered a heart attack less than a day after posting to social media that he had just gotten the Moderna booster jab. According to his own Instagram page, he said uh, he was very grateful to receive the MRNA booster while he was in South Korea. He originally received the Johnson & Johnson in July of 2021. Less than a day after getting his Moderna booster on December the 17th, he died of a heart attack. More nurses are blowing the whistle about what they're seeing with heart attacks, clotting, and strokes. And understand at this point in time, many of these nurses are double-vaxxed themselves. And not very happy about it. As a matter of fact, uh, this is coming out of Ventura County, California, reported by a local paper, paper, the Conejo Guardian. And uh, the article is summarized with comments by vaccine impact. And here's what the nurses are saying. Uh, One of them, uh, quoted by the Conejo Guardian, said uh, they don't want to report that they're seeing 80% of the people in the ER are vaccinated. But here in Ventura County, only 40% of the county is vaccinated. So seeing people in the ER room, that is twice the rate of the population that's vaccinated in that county. The nurses also report conditions in the hospital right now are so bad that they are in quote-unquote survival mode as there's not enough staff to handle the influx of these vaccine-injured patients. And they're thrusting new nurses And the situation with very little training, making the situation even worse. Oh, yeah, maybe we can just get some warm bodies from the National Guard or the military to, you know, occupy them. Well, they don't, even if they were trained nurses, they don't know what the system is in that particular hospital. So while many of the ethical nurses and the hospital staff who refused to get injected with the bioweapon shots have now been fired or have quit, it appears that the vaccinated nurses and staff that remain are starting to wake up also. And many of them may soon be leaving the medical system as well, as they do not want to get the never-ending booster injections and work in these overcrowded workplaces where they can clearly see the majority of patients are suffering from side effects of the Trump shots. One critical care nurse, Sam, at an ICU in Ventura County, is quoted by the uh, Guardian there in Ventura County, saying, I'm tired of all the BS that's going on, he said. It's crazy how nobody questions anything anymore. None of the doctors question whether the vaccine causes myocarditis, pericarditis, and the strokes that are coming in. If they don't toe the line, they could lose their medical license. And they know that. He's also witnessed a surge in the numbers of young people experiencing severe health problems. He said, we've been having a lot of younger people come in. We're seeing a lot of strokes, a lot of heart attacks with younger people. 138 year old woman came in with occlusions, that is, blockage of blood flow in her brain. He said the doctors were searching for everything under the sun and documenting this in the chart, but nowhere do you see whether or not she was even vaccinated. They don't No, don't ask, don't tell, right? It's too hot. One thing the vaccine causes, he said, is thrombosis and clotting. Here you have a 38-year-old woman who was double vaccinated, and she's having strokes that they can't explain. None of the doctors relates it to the vaccine. This is garbage. It's absolute garbage, said the nurse. One doctor, uh, this is another one, uh, age 63, suffered a heart attack. A test revealed that her coronary arteries were clean. No reason for her to have a heart attack. One doctor actually questioned the vaccine, but he didn't mention it in the chart because you can't prove it, right? It's just a coincidence. While hospitals are seeing more myocarditis, and associated side effect, everyone wants to downplay it. They just keep saying, says the nurse, they keep saying it's rare, it's rare, it's rare. Where do they get that from? Fauci, the CDC, the media. It's a mantra. Doctors don't want to question it. We have these mass vaccinations happening, and we're seeing myocarditis more frequently. And Nobody wants to raise the red flag. When we discuss this case, they don't even want to discuss it. They don't mention it. They act like... They don't have a reason that this is just happening spontaneously. Like I said, you know, um, Trump and these people who are pushing this stuff, and that includes the minions uh, at the hospital level, they're not ignorant. They're some of the most evil people we've ever seen. And that goes flows from Trump to the people who covered for him in the media to the uh, people who are covering for this. When they see this happening, another ICU nurse, Dana, said it has never been this busy and none of it is COVID-19. We normally don't see this amount of strokes and aneurysms and heart attacks all happening at once. Normally, we see six to 10 aortic dissections a year. We have seen six in the last month. They're seeing as many in one month as they previously would in a year. She said it's crazy. All of those have very high rates of mortality. Yeah, if you have an exploded aorta, that's, you're probably not going to make it. Doctors are like, well, it's probably the holidays, she said. I don't understand how you can look at what is going on and come up with a, yeah, it's just the holidays. There's been a big change in everybody's life. And it is the vaccine, she said. So it is the pandemic of the Trump shots. And this guy is out there lying to you, looking in the camera and lying to your face, just like Fauci, hoping that he can get you to take the shot. Do we know if he had the shot? He says he had the shot. He says he had the booster. We don't know. I mean, he had natural immunity. Why would he take the booster? Uh, Yeah, he's trying to kill people still. Everybody is in survival mode because of the staffing, said uh, Dana, the ICU nurse. She said, because we're short-staffed, They're hiring new nurses, and I'm seeing mistakes in the hospital that are not funny. They're medical errors. Hospitals are trying to fill these spots, and they're getting any warm body they can to do the bare minimum. I think it's terrible what is happening. Recently, she took care of a patient who was mistakenly given massive amounts of a certain hormone by a different nurse. She said, now this patient's brain is fried. The patient is screwed, she said. So going back to Sam, the first nurse, um, the Ventura County uh, Guardian, the Conejo uh, Guardian, said uh, Sam took the first two COVID shots while working in Los Angeles during the pandemic. But he's shocked at how medical professionals and political leaders are demanding universal acceptance of what he says is not really a vaccine. It's experimental. He said they shouldn't be forcing it on everyone. There isn't a lot of data. There are risks associated with it and you should be able to turn it down. Now if you don't take the vaccine, people shun you. He said there's hostility that is running high amongst the hospital co-workers. You're not allowed to say that you don't want it. Co-workers will talk trash about you if you don't have if you're not vaccinated and they are adamated, uh, adamant about it. He said it's frustrating. They'll say behind uh, your back, well, she's not vaccinated, blah blah blah. And I'm like, who cares? It's none of your business. It's their choice. We used to have medical information that was private. Now it's like, so what's your COVID status? Well, again, ask them, what's your uh, sexual transmitted disease status? The first thing nurses say in the history of the physical is he's not vaccinated. They do it to the patients as well. Um. The doctors don't question anymore. He said none of them question the vaccine causing myocarditis, pericarditis, the strokes that are coming in. If they don't toe the line, they lose their medical license. They do what they do because they have bills to pay. And I'm disappointed because you have a handful of doctors who will question the narrative, but the rest of them simply go along. And for his part, he's decided he's not going to take any more boosters. He says, I may end up getting a lawyer if they change the definition of vaccinated and you need a third shot. California law allows for religious exemptions and hospitals are denying them. That's discrimination. Like all the nurses interviewed by The Guardian, he says he is sick and tired of coercion. He says, if you're vaccinated and I'm not, what are you worried about? It's my choice, right? If I get sick and die, that's the price of freedom. That's what we're built on. In America, we don't force people to take injections and medical products against their will. Unless, of course, it's done by Trump and it's perfectly safe and a miracle. In that case, we ought to make everybody get it. We'll be right back.
3: This is the David Night Show.
1: The common man. They created common core to dumb down our children. They created common past to track and control us. Their commons project to make sure the commoners own nothing. And the communist future. They see the common man as simple, unsophisticated, ordinary. But each of us has worth and dignity created in the image of God. That is what we have in common. That is what they want to take away. Their most powerful weapons are isolation, deception, intimidation. They desire to know everything about us while they hide everything from us. It's time to turn that around and expose what they want to hide. Please share the information and links you'll find at TheDavidKnightShow.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. If you can't support us financially, please keep us in your prayers. TheDavidNightshow.com You know, CNN is taking the side of the doctors and the hospitals who want to push back against patients who want to try an alternative therapy. As I was saying earlier, you know, this director of the Dallas Buyers Club did a story about a guy who became a hero because he extended and saved a lot of lives by using alternative treatments for AIDS while that was under the control of Fauci. And yet you are demonized and vilified. And that's what this article from CNN is intended to do yet again to criticize anybody who wants to second guess uh, these people. And uh, let's understand, in the doctor-patient relationship, as I think it ought to be, and and as it is uh, in my life, uh, you get multiple doctors to give you opinions about things. And then ultimately, it is your decision to make that. And when I look at at suggested therapies and treatments, I said to my cardiologist, uh, "No, I'm not going to do that." Multiple times, and he and he really got upset with me. He says, "Oh, you've been looking to at Doctor Google or whatever." It's like, "Yeah, that's right. This is my body. This is my life. I'm going to do my research, and I will make the decisions, not you." That's what's being taken away from us. That was always the greatest danger of Obamacare. It wasn't simply the money, you know. As I started out the show, I said, no, "Look at this. You got Rand Paul does his Festivus thing, and he's..." looking at, oh, they wasted money on this research, and this is nonsense, and that's nonsense, and look at all the money that they're wasting. No, it's about life. It's not just the waste of money. It's about the waste of life, the deliberate taking of life by people like Fauci, whether it is the uh, you know the murder of babies uh, to, um, uh, to harvest organs to make humanized mice. Uh, that's what we should be concerned over. And ultimately... The real problem with Obamacare was never about the fact that it doubled or tripled insurance rates. That's enough of a problem, and that's a real problem. That's a reason enough to oppose it. But that's not the only reason to oppose it. And it goes beyond the death panels where they would say, whether somebody else would determine what kind of health care you're going to get or whether you're going to get it at all. And that's what we're seeing now. You see this, oh, yeah, well, these people, if they're not vaccinated, just kill them. No treatment for them. You know, because we got to fill up the emergency rooms of people who've tested positive but have no symptoms, because we can then get the cash from the system that was put in place by Donald Trump 656 days ago. So CNN attacking people who are not following the conventional wisdom, deflated healthcare workers, poor healthcare workers. Is there any pity from CNN about the healthcare workers who are being pushed out after decades of work? After a year and a half of working on the front lines, they're being pushed out because they make their own decision to say they don't want to take an untested experimental Trump shot and they get kicked to the curb, get kicked out of their job. No, there's no pity for those poor deflated healthcare care workers from CNN over that. But deflated health care workers and desperate patients clash over alternative COVID treatments. Those poor people, it's so difficult For these hospitals and these nurses and these doctors, if you want to take a cheap, effective drug, they just can't handle that. And they ignore judges, even up to the point of a judge putting a $10,000 fine per day on a hospital to get them to give a woman who they were killing with their leeches, that's basically what we're talking about. Oh, I think what they need as a medical profession, you know, we used to have a consensus point of view in the medical community that uh, if uh, you were sick, it was because of bad humors in your body and you needed to get those bad humors out by putting leeches all over the person. They took out most of the blood of George Washington after he got a cold. It must have been the coronavirus. They didn't have the test, right? But it must have been a cold, uh, must have been coronavirus that he got after he was riding around his estate on a uh, rainy, damp day, and he wasn't wearing a face mask either, I guarantee you. And so they called in the doctors, and the doctors bled him to death, among other things, gave him mercury and other stuff. But CNN says, uh, folks, act as if they can come into the hospital and request any certain therapy they want. Or, conversely, they can decline any therapy they want. With the idea being that somehow you can pick and choose and direct the therapy. It doesn't work like that. Yeah, it doesn't. Uh, What they have is a situation of medical kidnapping and financially incentivized malpractice. That's what the medical system has become. They insult your intelligence. They insult your ability. Are they insulting the intelligence and the ability of doctors and nurses who say, I don't want the jab. I've seen the so-called pandemic and I've seen the adverse effects associated with the vaccine. I don't want it. Oh, no, that's not an insult to their intelligence, an insult to their ability. They say it's most hurtful. They say that by not using these therapies, you're intentionally trying to harm people. Oh, yeah. Well, that is exactly what they're doing. Uh, Dr. Joel Hirschhorn, as I pointed out at the beginning of the show, talks about Paxlovid. I think that's the way you pronounce it. They make these names up. This one looks, I think that's the way, P-A-X-L-O-V-I-D, Paxlovid. What we should know about Pfizer's new COVID treatment medicine. He said um, it's recently received an emergency use authorization by the FDA for patients 12 years old and up. Because why? Liability issues. You know, they want to make sure they want to take it down to kids so that it falls into this, you know, liability protection for vaccines. Now, this is not uh, a vaccine. So it would be protected from liability under the PrEP Act. Remember, yesterday I pointed out that Congressman Thomas Massey said All these different therapies, whether they work or not, no matter how bad they are, no matter the damage that's done, if it is something, they're all being given liability coverage with the PrEP Act. So, for example, if you wanted to go back and start collecting testimony from doctors who knew that over 90% of the people put on these invasive uh, ventilators are being killed, if you want to go back and try to, you know, file a lawsuit against Trump for uh, pushing this, you know, or against the government because the Trump administration pushed it. Or if you want to try to get some compensation from uh, the hospitals or the manufacturers of these ventilators, no, under the PREP Act, you're not allowed to do that. But back to Pax Lovid and Dr. Joel Hirshhorn. He said, first, everyone should appreciate that there was very little testing of this, of either the short or long-term safety of this product. There's no testing. It's just like it. He says exactly what happened with the COVID vaccines. Really good testing of a drug would take many years. Uh, They skipped all that. He says all you get is positive news for this new drug, and it's actually a combination of drugs. He said it was approved by the FDA without any external meeting, without meetings, without serious reviews of test data, or an opportunity for public input. Pretty much all of the regulatory work was done behind closed doors. That's terrific for Pfizer, but it's bad for the public, says Dr. Joel Hirschhorn. Well, look at what is happening with the test information for the COVID vaccines. Pfizer wants that classified. First, they said 55 years, Uh, then, they said 75 years. And uh, they're going to keep it classified just like the JFK assassination thing. Because, you know, we look at this, if the same people running our government now that created the coup that is, um, you know, back with the JFK assassination, the same people still running our government, the military industrial complex and the intelligence community. If you realized what these people are doing on the vaccine, that would be even more inflammatory than realizing that they had just assassinated the president and conducted a coup against the American government. People would get even more angry about their relatives and friends who were murdered by these Trump shots. So you've got to keep that stuff classified for at least 75 years. All of this stuff being done in secret, no external meetings, no serious reviews of test data, no opportunity for public input. It's classified. It's national security, which tells you who's really behind this. It's a military industrial complex, and it's the intelligence community that's behind this whole thing. According to Pfizer's press release for people with proven COVID infection, Paxlovid reduces hospitalization death by 89% if taken within three days of symptom onset. Also reported in their unverified press release was an approximate tenfold decrease in viral load after five days relative to a placebo. Now, the um, this is according to their unverified, uh, short study. It's not a short, it's not a study at all. Dr. Joel Hirschhorn says, how interesting it would have been to test the Pfizer drug against an ivermectin protocol. Mm, Not going to do that, are they? He said, for example, how does the Pfizer drug, this Paxlovid, how does that compare with the Dr. George Fareed and Dr. Brian Tyson protocol? Well, Fareed and Tyson had many more patients in their study about 7,000, and they took the drug combo, yet they had fewer hospitalizations, only four, and they had no deaths. So they had a much bigger trial, and they had better results than Pfizer's Paxlovid. But of course, we're talking about the money. That's the real issue here. So you're way, off, you're way better off with the Fareed Tyson Protocol, and the safety protocol of ivermectin after billions of uses globally is far better proven than the Pfizer product. In other words, even if you were to say that we don't know the effectiveness of ivermectin, but we do. There's been a lot of studies of it. Uh, a lot, it's been studied far more than any of these vaccines or other treatments. So we know a lot more about its effectiveness and it looks very effective. But we have decades worth of information about its safety protocol. This is why in the past the FDA generally did not get in the way of people prescribing off-label uses of medication. In other words, we we have identified this. We know what the safety protocol is. We don't know if it is effective for condition B. Uh, We looked at it for condition A, and we said it was safe and effective. Uh, But we don't know if it's effective for condition B, but we'll allow you to use it for condition B because we've already done the safety protocol on it. Anyway, he concludes by saying, always follow the money. A month ago, SVB uh, Lyrink analyst Jeffrey uh, Porges projected that the drug, this drug, Paxlovid, will generate $24 billion this next year in sales for Pfizer. Together with the company's vaccine, Pfizer could be looking at $50 billion in peak pandemic vaccine and drug sales. How much does it cost to buy these people off? in the federal bureaucracy and the FDA and other places like that. I mean, you, you've got both of the FDA uh, heads of uh, Trump. Scott Gottlieb, who was the first one there, is now working for Pfizer. And Scott Hahn, who he bullied into approving the emergency use authorization and bragged about on December 11th, that guy has now gone to work for Moderna. So uh, yeah, it's all about that, isn't it? We'll be right back, stay with us. CNN is uh, weeping crocodile tears for the poor, uh, doctors and hospitals that uh, are being criticized for not allowing safe, effective uh, treatment of patients uh, by their relatives. We have this, you know, they they know better. They're the the doctors, and we should never question them, you know, because science, because authority. And I thought it was kind of interesting, the end of uh, the week last week, scientists discovered a new part of the human body. You would think of all things that they would have anatomy down, right? (laughs) This is, uh, as uh, the Jerusalem Post puts it, a jaw-dropping discovery about the jaw, Uh, specifically the masseter, a muscle in the lower jaw that is essential for chewing. So you got a muscle in the lower jaw essential for chewing, and they never knew it was there because, you know, science is settled, right? How about a little bit of humility from some of these arrogant bureaucrats and doctors? The God Complex is something that is talked about quite a bit with doctors. It's a real thing, quite frankly. Uh, It's also a real thing for the technocracy. They have the God view where they, uh, with um, these ride-sharing companies, uh, they're able to look and see everything that you're doing, and they record it, and they run little articles about how... um, you know, what people are doing and different trends because they're watching all that stuff as the uh, government itself is. Uh, Omicron has hit Israel, but restrictions may be eased. Why is that, they ask? See, we're starting to see this around the world. I reported earlier the fact that uh, Fauci said, well, yeah, it makes perfectly good sense. You know, we've, first he tells you that we got an Omicron surge. This thing is moving out so rapidly. I mean, you know, two people are, it's just taking a short period of time for these two people to infect another two people and so forth. It's exactly the same kind of idiotic fear mongering that was part of the model used by the London, the Imperial College of London and uh, Neil Ferguson. He didn't have a curve, you know, that curve that you're supposed to flatten. He didn't have a curve. It was a straight line. Two people going to infect two people going to infect two people. And they played around with the different time frame of the transmission but it was just a straight line going up forever didn't have the curve which has been a part of epidemiology since 1840 far as law just completely ignore that and so you've got fauci back selling that idea you know it is never going to taper off but this is all fear-mongering over something that they admit most people don't even have any symptoms nobody is dying and so when you see Omicron hitting Israel and they're rolling out the test, the test, the test, this is why Israel, again, the leader in all this stuff, along with the U.S., CDC, Fauci, are now saying we're going to keep people quarantined for a shorter period of time. So on the one hand, they're stoking the fear about Omicron being everywhere. And, the same, and then on the other hand, they're saying, well, let's cut the uh, quarantine time. And the reason that they're giving, again, in Israel... Authorities on Monday were discussing easing up some of the restriction measures passed to fight Omicron, including the requirement to quarantine for at least seven days after being exposed to the variant, even for fully vaccinated individuals and some of the travel restrictions. It might be counterintuitive, they said. No, actually, it's uh, hypocritical. It shows that this isn't science. But, you know, it's a very well-known phenomenon in epidemiology. Oh, really? Yeah. Such decisions are all based on an evaluation of cost versus benefits. When have we ever seen them talk about benefits in the equation, or even the costs? You know, what are, the, what are the costs of taking everybody's lives away? What's the cost, the psychological cost of what we're doing to our kids, or what we're doing to the population, or the medical costs of masking people up? We don't care about any of the costs. And they don't have to make a case for benefits. But now they're saying, well, you know, we're doing this, and this is all really about science. This is about costs versus benefits. The wave is different from previous ones. With such high infection and reproduction rates, keeping so many individuals isolated helps in a very limited way. And the price is very high. See, what they've done is they've overplayed their hand. They've jumped the shark. And they realize that as they test everybody and as they label everything, Omicron and a variant and COVID, if they continue to do that, They are going to rush everybody into a very rapid, uh, real starvation situation. They have set in, uh, in motion a set of dominoes, if you will, that are destroying the supply chain. And those things are, those dominoes are still falling and still multiplying. And if they want to do this to a much greater extent, with even more testing, uh, they realize that uh, it's going to wake people up. So they're pulling back on this. Again, the goal remains the same. They're doing this everywhere. The difference is the speed at which they're rolling it out in different countries. Health experts in Italy are saying the same thing. said Italy is going to be completely paralyzed if we don't change these lockdown rules. Uh, said um, Prior to this, they said uh, sufferers may have to self-isolate for seven days if they're vaccinated. For 10 days, if they've not had a shot, but they predicted that within two weeks, a million people in Italy might have come down with COVID. That would mean that there could be 5 to 10 million contacts that had to be sent to quarantine. So we might have 5 to 10 million people would have to lock up in COVID FEMA camps. See, that's another part of the, of the panic. It's not just what it's going to do in terms of completely destroying society. It's Also, they don't have enough prisons to put people in yet, yet. Uh, so um, a virologist uh, echoed the comment. He said, it's clear at this stage with Omicron, we must consider changes in the way that we intervene. Otherwise, we're headed for a generalized lockdown. You're headed for starvation. They want that to happen, but not at a speed that they can't, uh, that, that is so rapid that they can't control the public with it. Truckers are frustrated by the looming Biden vaccine mandate for cross-border Canada shipments. This is one of the most amazingly bullheaded, ignorant, hypocritical, cynical lies I've seen anywhere. Canada, starting on January the 15th, Canada will require all the people, all the uh, including truck drivers, essential workers even, right, including truck drivers, To be fully vaccinated on entry into the country. And one week later, on January the 22nd, the U.S. will require the same thing. So you can't go across the border, you know, January the 15th on Canada's regulations, seven days later, the 22nd on U.S. regulations. You can't cross the border as a trucker without being fully vaccinated. Now, one of the things, if you remember, um, when when, uh, Biden put out his blackmail mandates, And he was trying to blackmail all the companies that had 100 or more employees. And you notice that they put a carve-out there for people who basically operate by themselves. And they specifically mentioned, you know, truckers, because they didn't want to completely destroy the supply chains just yet. And uh, so they put that little carve-out in there. And after they waited for two months to come up with the regulations, that that carve-out came in. Or it came in because of lobbying. But they're not doing that for people crossing the border to Canada. Of course, if you want to cross the border from Mexico, no problem at all, right? That's the amazing hypocrisy about all this. And it was called out by a Montana Republican senator, Steve Daines. He said he thinks these, quote, overreaching vaccine mandates will shutter Montana businesses and force Montanans out of work. It's going to hurt our Montana trucking business and make this inflation and supply chain crisis even worse. One of the trucking officials that was uh, interviewed said, we pull probably 12 to 14 loads a day in and out of Canada. The concern that drivers have to be vaccinated to come back in the United States to get into Canada and to come back here is a big concern as far as our employment rate goes. As with any small business in Montana, two to three people missing can break a business quickly. And so um, as as you look at this, again, it didn't make any, they couldn't make a scientific or medical argument that somebody driving by themselves in a truck would have to be vaccinated, right? Uh, in case you haven't noticed, uh, these 18-wheelers are not convertibles even. <laughs> they're outside. They're sealed up. There, there's a lot of distancing going on here. Uh, and and so it was absurd to start with, and we knew what the consequences were. You want to talk about cost-benefit analysis? Why don't you do that on this? Well, here's uh, the rest of the story, said the Montana senator. He says, it makes no sense to me why the president kept the northern border locked down and the southern border wide open. He said, Canadians have a vaccination rate of about 80%. On the southern border... The Haitians that are flooding across it have less than a 1% vaccination rate. So none of this makes any sense. It's not about the vaccination. It's not about the vaccination rate. But they're going to make that the metric of control. It's simply a metric to control people. In the same way that Fauci said, well, you know, Making people fly, it's not going to have a, have a vaccine to fly domestically. That's not going to really make any difference because everybody's still got to wear masks. You know, implying that the vaccines, as we know, don't work. But he said it's if you could use that to get people to take more shots. That's the only thing the country cares about. It's the only thing that Fauci cares about. It's the only thing Biden and Trump care about. Get your shots. Get your shots. Get your shots. Why doesn't that raise a red flag with people? I mean, when they want something that badly... When they will burn down the country in order to get everybody vaccinated. Doesn't that tell you how sinister this is? I mean, you can speculate about as much as you want, but just right there, that's a non-starter. When you are that desperate to get everybody vaccinated, you got some cards you're not showing, don't you, buddy? CC has unveiled a new quarantine guidance. They have cut it from 10 days now to five days. So Israel, Italy, the U.S., we're going to cut down the quarantine. Even as they push the panic button, the hospitals are filling up with people who are not sick, don't have any symptoms. Uh, But, you know, hey, we all got to lock down. And we got to destroy the supply chain. Anti-vax protests have erupted worldwide over the last weekend amid plans for a major D.C. event. On January the 23rd, about 1130 a.m., at the Washington Monument and concluding at the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, about a mile away, uh, the rally will be called Defeat the Mandate. It is organized by the Unity Project, by the Children's Health Defense, and the International Alliance of Physicians and Medical Scientists. See, this is what should have been done from the uh, election all the way through to January 6th and beyond should have had something like this instead of people trying to show up and try to keep Trump in office, the guy who is the father of the big pharma fascist dictatorship globally. Why keep that guy in office? Why go there and fall into that trap? I said the morning of January the 6th on this program, I said, this is going to be a total disaster. I'm very worried about the people who were there because it's going to be filled with agent provocateurs and it's going to be used as a means to attack people who are Republicans, who are conservative and it's going to be used to attack everybody who attends. I said that when I was still at Infowars as well. Uh, American cattle ranchers go broke as the corporate meat packers consolidate 85% of the beef market. Now a few uh, weeks ago, maybe a couple of months ago, there was an article about how some of the ranchers in some areas were coming together because this consolidation was so bad. They were trying to come together to do a cooperative to create a um, uh, to create their own meat processing. But listen to how consolidated this is. This is uh, from a New York Times article. There's four companies that dominate the beef market. You've got Tyson Foods, Cargill the National Beef Packing Company, and JBS. And they are pushing the people who actually raise the beef, raise the uh, cattle, they're pushing them out of business. They're taking all the money for themselves. And this is what we're seeing everywhere. That's a big part of why they're not going to do anything to stop the supply chain issues. During the boosting stage of this multinational corporate uh, governance, okay? It it is a partnership between these big multinational corporations and the uh, politicians. And in the boosting stage of this, they give you all the stuff at a discounted rate. You get slave labor from China and all this other stuff, right? And now we're at the stage where they have consolidated their monopolies. And both the multinational corporations and the government, whether it is Biden or Trump, they want to make sure that um there is scarcity and chaos in the supply chain because now these people are ready to ramp this up they want it to be scarce they want to be every one of them are seeking the kinds of you know monopoly and control the market like you see in the diamond market with the beers that is precisely what this is about that's one of the reasons why this is not going to go away the government And the multinational corporations don't want this to go away. This is a part of the model to drive you into poverty and scarcity while they take everything from you. That's one of the ways that they're going to take everything from us is with this monopoly. And so Breitbart points out the four meatpacking conglomerates once owned 35% of the market. That'd be bad enough. But today their market share is 85% of the market. As multiple presidential administrations of both parties and Congress have been unwilling to step in with antitrust maneuvers once readily used to break up corporate monopolies. And this is something that's been going on for quite some time. How did we get the banks that were too big to fail? Well, you had the uh, concerns about creating a monopoly waived during the Clinton administration, you had a guy from uh, North Carolina. His name was Erskine Bowles. He was a big bigwig in the political uh, Democrat uh, Party mechanism there. Erskine Bowles was a uh, high official in the Biden administration. I mean, uh, the uh, uh, Clinton administration. And Bank of America that was headquartered in California and Nations Bank that was headquartered in Charlotte, North Carolina, decided that they wanted to merge. And everybody in the business community were setting off alarms. They said, this is crazy. These too big these banks are too big to merge. But the Clinton administration, with the help of Erskine Bowles, okayed it. And, of course, Clinton also got rid of the Glass-Steagall Act that was put in after the Depression when they decided they would put out FDIC insurance to keep from having runs on the banks and to guarantee up to a certain level depositors' money. Uh, They also put restrictions on banks that they could not engage in speculative uh, investments. And so they took that away. So they let them engage in speculative investments. They came up with these new instruments that were part of what blew everything up about 10 years later. But when that merger was being proposed, everybody said, if you do this, if you allow Nations Bank and Bank of America to merge, you're going to start a a wave of mergers and consolidations. And you're going to wind up with just a few big banks. And you did. You wound up with about a half dozen banks that were too big to fail. And so when they created a massive banking crisis, they were bailed out. The smaller banks, the savings and loans, and the individuals were left to die while they protected the big banks that they had created a decade earlier by allowing these mergers, these monopolistic mergers, and taking away any restrictions Uh, any meaningful restrictions against the banks at the same time. So this is a part of the plan to have these mergers happen. And uh, we have uh, a government that is um, not like Teddy Roosevelt. We're not going to go in there and break up these monopolies or these trusts or whatever. We're going to let them go. You hear that when they're talking about the uh, big tech companies and you're talking about the deleterious effects of their censorship, The government wants that censorship. The government actually demands that censorship. They were saying that before it got really bad, before they started deplatforming people openly. They were saying, if we find something that we object to, well, you know, it's going to be some kind of a violent crime or something like that. We want these people. We demand that they be taken down within a certain period of time, or we're going to hit you with big fines. And that started in Europe. It was also echoed in the U.S. They want them to censor. They tell them what to censor for. They tell them who to censor. And then they come back and say, well, we can't interfere with that. That's private. You know, uh, we'll tell you what you've got to inject in your body. But we won't tell uh, the, uh, the social media companies who they can't eject. We will eject you from, from society if you don't inject this stuff. But we will let them eject anybody that they see fit because they're on the same page. And they're doing the same thing with uh, this manufactured scarcity. So one rancher said, uh, we're contemplating getting out. We're not getting our share of consumer dollars. Yeah, because of monopolies. Well, what he needs to do is he needs to go direct. Uh, and that's what we all need to start working on. Even as inflation has sent beef prices skyrocketing for American consumers, the ranchers say their share of the $66 billion industry has been transferred to the corporate meat packers, who they say are controlling prices. Their goal is to control the market so that they can control the price. That's exactly it. New York University expert told the New York Times, the pandemic exposed the consequences of the consolidation of the meat industry. But it's across every industry. The meat is particularly in the crosshairs of these people pushing the U.N. agenda 2030. They really don't want you having uh, clean meat. They said uh, JBS, by the way, is owned by a couple of Brazilian billionaires, Wesley and Josley Batista. They have raked in $18 billion in revenue from July to September of this year alone. The revenues represent a 32% increase compared to the same time the year before. So stop thinking. This is just one of the big four companies. They have their product, their profits, their revenues, I should say. Revenues have gone up by $18 billion from the previous year. And, um, Uh, a 32% increase. One guy, Koi Young, 38 years old, said, well, you're raised a farmer. He's a fifth-generation rancher. He says, you're raised a farmer. It's my family legacy. It's like I'm losing my image as a man. Well, we don't want to do that. We have to not allow this to happen. When we come back, I'm going to talk about what you need to do to prepare to live in an underground economy. Very important. We'll be right back. Uh, Stay with us. (music) ¶¶
4: This is The David Knight Show.
1: I had a listener uh, send me, and I'm going to do an Ask Me Anything question uh, uh, broadcast uh, probably this week. Maybe I'll do it tomorrow. I've gotten some good questions from people, and it's been a while since I've done one. One person asked me, what do you think is going on with all these shortages that we see everywhere? And she said, "Uh, my husband's—I don't have a letter in front of me, but it was something like, uh, my husband— uh, works with a company, and she said, you used to have to know somebody who knew somebody or whatever to get, even get an interview. Now they're just hiring any warm body that they can find. Why is this happening? I mean, clearly, this isn't because people are getting the stimulus checks to stay home. They were never that big anyway. I mean, we were not excluded from that from income, but you know, we had one person in our family uh, that was entitled to get it, got it. You know, we didn't bother to chase that stuff. It's just not... You know, it isn't going to make that big a difference in anybody's life. I mean, you know, it's like a $1,400 check uh, every six to eight months. You you can't live off of that. I don't understand, you know, th- yeah, there's unemployment benefits that were extended and so forth and, and many other things like that that could explain the missing workers, but that's all being taken away. I mean, they took away those extended unemployment benefits before they put in the blackmail. You know, that's part of the blackmail. Yeah, you know, we're going to fire you. And we're going to say that you quit, so you're not going to get any unemployment benefits. And even if you were successful in asserting that you were fired, uh, we're not going to give you the additional benefits. But now everybody is desperate. They can't find anybody to work. I mean, I can understand that a lot of this in terms of retail or fast food or something like that is because people don't want to have to work with a mask on. But now as that is starting to disappear, they're still having shortages everywhere. So it's not that either. What is it? One of the things she said, which I had not mentioned before, is a possibility, but I think it is a very real possibility. You know, we talk about how the VAERS reports have been grossly understated. A Harvard study that was done for HHS years ago said only about, uh, not that many years ago, you know, but before this stuff started, said only about 1% of the adverse effects to vaccinations are reported. We just had another one done by Columbia University saying only about 5% reported. So when we see these numbers of you know, over a million people injured, we don't know how severe those are, I don't know what percentage of those are severe, just in the United States, over a million people injured. I think it's a million and a half, actually. And when we look at just under thirty thousand people dead, reported to VARES, is that um uh you know, do you multiply that by twenty? Do you multiply it by a hundred, right? I mean, is it instead of 30,000 people dead, is it 3 million? Uh, That could explain why you got such a great worker shortage here. Because a lot more people than you realize are being injured out of the workplace or killed. And Michael Snyder uh, kind of asked that same question. The great worker shortage is causing basic services to break down across all America. Where did the workers go? The number of people that are actually working is still close to 4 million below the pre-pandemic peak. It's almost as if millions upon millions of people have disappeared from the system completely. Again, have they been injured, unable to work, or are they, uh, are they dead? I mean, look at the professional athletes. Why all these people retiring at the peak of their career? Well, they've had heart issues and they can't do it anymore. And that's a vaccine thing. How many people have come down with heart uh, disease because of these vaccines and cannot do the kind of work that they did before? And how many have died? Let's talk about the underground economy, though. Uh, I want to get to this before the show ends. This is uh, an article from the Organic Prepper. You can also find it on Zero Hedge. Lessons from an Underground Economy. This is authored by J.G. Martinez, who is in Venezuela. And this is kind of his... First-hand report about how he has survived in Venezuela. Uh one of the interviews that I had with Sheriff Hathaway, he's somebody who has um you know worked in law enforcement in other countries and other places and he said, you know, I've watched how people have survived in these very, very corrupt foreign countries. And it's true. You know, they find a way to survive. And they find a way to organize themselves in a black market. And we're not talking about, you know, selling drugs or something like that. We're talking about people figuring out how they're gonna eat. Uh, that's the issue. In Venezuela. So Martinez for the organic prepper says, uh, how is it possible to survive in a nation that has inflation rates of 20% a month and 1,700% a year? The answer is the underground economy, he says. This is a level of hyperinflation that we have found ourselves with here in Venezuela. And considering the spread of inflation worldwide, it would be well worth a prepper's time to understand what we have learned here. Because, again, uh, Venezuela, that kind of hyperinflation is likely coming everywhere. Virtually everything you read dictates that inflation on this scale necessitates civil war. Yet, we haven't seen this happen in Venezuela. Why not? Why are the streets not being taken by armed civilians? He said, while the main reason revolves around 20 years of disarmament and anti-self-defense teachings, I would argue that there is a second reason that we haven't delved into full-on anarchy as well, and that is our underground economy. Uh, Now, when you look at the kind of chaos that is happening in California and Chicago, a lot of these other Democrat areas uh, where you've got roving gangs of people going in, uh, that is a harbinger of what is going to happen once things get tough. So that is a key thing that you need to prepare for, to defend yourself and defend your family against that type of thing. And they're going into areas, uh, you know, wealthy areas of California that were never bothered by that type of thing. Let me tell you, a gated community, that's not going to defend you at all. Uh, so that's one part of it. But getting back to the economic side of it. He says, I've lived in four different and fallen South American countries, and it's been the underground economy which has kept people going in each case. When I used to work in the Venezuelan oil industry, our salary was taxed heavily, just like everybody else's. As expected these taxes can quickly make it hard for a family to pay its bills, but the underground economy is completely unregulated. I know guys with a hot dog cart who make much more money than engineers down here. Uh, He says, this is not new. Our world has been like this for many years now. The guy working with a hot dog cart doesn't pay any taxes. He doesn't pay rent. And usually, uh, although this is, um, he says, and this is now an accepted practice, and usually these street vendors will run a wire from some nearby pole for their music and for their lights. In other words, they're not even paying for their electricity. They're just tapping it off of a pole. <laughs> uh, I wonder how many of them get fried like a hot dog. Anyway, our stated, <laughs> our stated hot dog vendor is not an isolated case either. He is part of what is keeping this country alive. In all probability, it is the men of this underground economy who likely comprise over half of our GDP here in Venezuela. More than half of the money generated here is a result of men, such as our hot dog vendor. Of course, much of this money also comes from the cartel, the drug cartels, and from the Russian mafia. But the point remains. It is the underground economy which is keeping the people of Venezuela fed. The larger and the more bloated the government control is, the greater the underground activity. Irregular business is the answer to these controls. It is simply to be expected, especially in Latin American countries where, you know, they have lived under this type of corruption that we have now here in the United States. You know, we're still operating under the naive uh, idea that uh, there's a rule of law here. And uh, they're, they're going to have to answer for this kind of stuff. Do you still believe that? I don't. Uh, He says um, uh, store shelves empty. Well, I know a guy who knows a guy. (laughs) It can get you a 20-kilo pack of cornmeal flour for a bit of arepas or whatever that is. He says is a Venezuelan bread. You should also check out our free quick-start guide to help you figure out how to keep a properly stocked larder to, keep, to help your family ride out troubled times. Corruption and trafficking of certain items was already a way of life here. These statist thugs just came into the equation to incorporate it further. As part of our lifestyle. How else do you explain that a simple Venezuelan pilot of a former state president can buy himself a two hundred million dollar yacht? How do you explain that Jacinda Arden's net worth jumped in one year from eight hundred thousand dollars to, what was it, twenty three, twenty four million dollars? When she has a salary of four hundred thousand dollars? Yeah, she didn't pay anything, you know, and she must have, you know, I don't know, maybe she invested it in Dogecoin or something, right? Uh, so you got a, a guy who is nothing but a Venezuelan pilot of a former state president. He's able to buy a $200 million yacht. The only way you can explain that is that this guy works for pleasure and his last name is Onassis. No, I think it's suspicious. The rumor in Caracas is that Ferrari's Lamborghinis and other luxury cars are being brought in for the corrupt idol. And they're all being paid for by our tax dollars. For Venezuelan preppers, getting rid of these insane controls actually worked. It kept us alive. But one thing I've realized is that there are some underground services which are more profitable than others. Outside of the ones that are truly criminal, you know, like uh, human trafficking, drugs, and stuff like that. For the prepper considering, here's the important part for you to take home and pay attention to. For the prepper considering how to survive an underground economy during an economic crisis, one might want to consider the following lists of occupations that I have seen perform well here in Venezuela. Number one, this was a surprise, fumigation. <laughs> one of the most attractive businesses you can develop in an underground economy is fumigation. Well, of course, it's also... a a very tropical uh, environment there. He says, sure, you need a machine and you need chemicals. And unless you really know what you're doing, you can have problems. But there's a lot of potential here. He said, fast food is the next one. And by that, he doesn't mean working for McDonald's. Uh, he says, yes, I, what he means is setting up your own hot dog court, uh, uh, you know, stand somewhere. He says, yeah, I know Venezuelans love hot dogs and hamburgers and the like, but it's simply ridiculous to see the excessive amount of fast food business that is flourishing near my home, um, he says I can't figure it out, and neither can anybody else. The best thing I can figure is that people like to eat, so almost every business that is related to food that's going to put food on your table as well. Honestly, these people do so well, such as our previously mentioned hot dog man, that I'm uh, to get my own deep fryer. Going to get my own deep fryer to delve into the market of fried chicken. The next one he has here, machine repairs. He says, it doesn't matter what kind of machine you're talking about. If you're skilled enough to repair it, congratulations. You've got the makings of a great underground business. He says, I've written about this extensively in the past, but he says, well, there's HVAC, small engines, cars, sewing machines, farm equipment, anything else. You will never be short on business in an underground economy. As a matter of fact, when I read that, it made me think of one of my favorite movies, Terry Gilliam's Brazil. Central to the plot <laughs> this is a guy played by Robert De Niro who is a black market HVAC repair guy. And the people who are actually the licensed government people, they take forever to show up and they don't fix anything when they do. So this guy, you know, makes a living by being a black market underground economy repair guy. A man alone, you get in, you get out, you know, that type of thing. And he's treated like a terrorist, and he's hunted down like a terrorist. At the very beginning of the film, they put out a warrant for his arrest. But as uh, that warrant is being printed out, the uh, crotchety old failed m- machinery that the failing mistake, uh, the failing dystopian uh, authoritarian state has uh, hits the wrong um uh character actually fly drops in the old typewriter. They got typewriters and they got instead of big screen TVs, they got Fresnel lenses to magnify the TV screens. So the, he's emphasizing the fact that the authoritarian people are just killing everything. The authoritarianism just stifles all initiative and all development, you know, so they're working with this really crude stuff. And so at the very beginning, it uh, changes the name and you get a, an innocent guy who gets picked up for that crime. But he was a man, you know, who was a, underground HVAC repairman, you know, doing all this stuff. <laughs> so that's, you could, that's the future. Brazil, you want to know what the future looks like. The, the parody of the future is Terry Gilliam's Brazil. It was kind of a you know, Monty Python take on 1984. A prepper should seriously consider becoming knowledgeable in at least some aspect of machine repairs to trade this, right? You can't do everything yourself. That's why you got to start setting up community. So that you can barter these different types, but make sure you got some kind of a skill that's going to be useful. House repairs. Every single homeowner will sooner or later need to repair something that's outside the range of their experience and expertise. I've found that if your fees are reasonable, if you work quickly, if you do good work and you arrive on time, and that is a rare combination. That is not just a rare combination in Venezuela. It's a rare combination in America now, Texas especially. You will get multiple jobs from the same customer. I've also discovered that the suburbs need to have more money in their pockets than do many of the other neighborhoods in Venezuela. So if you're going to delve into the world of underground house repairs, that may be a profitable market to dive into. So very important uh, advice there. I'll just say as we look at this, you know, there's a lot of, um, a lot of things. Uh, Gates, Bill Gates was trending the other day. Uh, because uh, some FOIA requests by Judicial Watch have uh, shown that he is working with the Chinese government to help them get influence in Africa. They don't just have the Belt and Road Initiative, but they have the initiative to sell medicine into these third world countries. And of course, you know, he's all over making money off of that. Uh, He's not running a charity. Uh, His charity is himself. (laughs) He donates to all these different charities that he owns and that are pushing things that are a very criminal agenda as a matter of fact exactly what he is pushing is described by tony blair listen to what tony blair had to say
4: this whole argument reminds me of something going back for some years this is id cards
1: by the back door isn't it look i was then i remain even more convinced today particularly with biometric technology the world will move to biometric id and they'll do it because in the end it's better for people
0: it's not about look the the amount of information (laughs) government's going to have on you
1: is going to be minimal compared with what your local supermarket has on you so it, it this is a completely sensible way to go and i think you will find right round the world that people move in this direction because it will facilitate and, the, the access to government services. And by the way, in
4: some of the developing countries, it will cut out fraud. You're very plugged oh, yeah. in. Are ministers interested
1: in this, do you think? Um, I mean, I don't know. But I, oh, yeah, he doesn't know. Because it's yeah. just... Let, me, let me say we're about to run out of time here. Isn't that amusing? Yeah, you know what? We're all missing. And we've heard this from Bill Gates for a long You know what the world is missing? The world is missing a global ID. We, we need to have a number assigned to every person on Earth. That's, that's what everybody really needs. It's going to make your life better. You know, we've seen how this works in India with the Aadhaar system. You know, They've got a poor country, and you're not going to get anything from the government, any kind of help or assistance, unless you take the number, the number of uh, these people. And so, you know, he had ID 2020. By 2020, we're going to have this ID system for everybody. Uh, we're going to, everybody also needs a vaccine. Every age, everywhere, uh, every person. IDIA 2030. Yeah, it's funny how these people know exactly what we want, even better than we do. <laughs> Just saying to Karen, "Where's my global ID?" I don't know. That's it for the broadcast. Thank you for listening. The common man. They created Common Core dumbed down our children. They created common past to track and control us. Their commons project to make sure the commoners own nothing. And the communist future. They see the common man as simple, unsophisticated, ordinary. But each of us has worth and dignity created in the image of God. That is what we have in common. That is what they want to take away.